In early 2020, you may recall, a wild fancy took over the serious Disney boys and they decided suddenly to stop recording episodes of the podcast in the same room together. But we did not stop recording them at all. In fact, we did a number of live streams with the intention of uploading them as podcast episodes, then didn't. Well, this is one of those. This was recorded all the way back in September of 2020, so bear that in mind in case we say anything that's no longer up to date, like how I think at one point I allude to the ongoing stress of the American election, that sort of thing. If it's tightly edited podcast gold you're looking for, then try our Beauty and the Beast episodes. But if you'd like to hear some nice relaxing chat about a pleasant old Rick Moranis film and you don't mind a bit of as-live slipshoddery, then we invite you to enjoy this one of those. Or if it concerns you that having missed some live streams, you haven't heard some episodes of Serious Disney and you're a completionist and that bothers you a bit, well, this is us filling in those gaps for you, which we intend to continue doing. Enjoy! Hello everyone, it's Frivolous Disney. Welcome to it the is. Disney podcast where we talk about... No, no. Yes, where we talk about things. <laughs> you had to take a, a moment there to pause to cook to question do we talk about things yes uh, yeah. yes do we yeah. yes 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 like we commit we're committing to talking about things and we've got a big topic endless, <laughs> I, I, that's good because it's like a big topic see because of big things it's a big topic that's because very you know good. this is a historic weekend for disney in many ways isn't it like is it you know it's it's oh, the yeah. weekend that it's the weekend that Mulan has debuted on um, yeah. Disney Plus. It's uh, you know their first you know Asian majority cast uh, mm. live action epic. Yeah. You know it's uh, it's a huge big experiment in um, release models going straight to Disney Plus, circumventing cinema release. Yeah, Loads could, could have a lasting could have a lasting impact on the whole film industry. It could. So we're marking this weekend. By talking about the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids trilogy. Yay! Hooray! Dave, remind me why we're doing that. <laughs> okay, so here's the reason why we're doing that. Um, there's a game available called Grounded, which is on yes. that Xbox Pass thing. And uh, Abby's been playing that with her friends. And it just made us think we'd quite like to watch Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So we did. And basically, you know, me and Johan have been looking for excuses to do episodes of this... And yeah. here's one. So yeah. we're here to talk about the Honey I Have Ruined It All Again franchise. Yes. The Honey um, films. Sort of, like, as we say, kind of apropos of nothing that relevant in terms of any connection to anything that's happening to anyone in the actual world, other than that have you played a video game? Have you played a video game? Yeah. Um, and, hey... In 2020, doesn't the world feel big and overwhelming? And this is a film about that. Tenuous, but let's go with it. (laughs) Okay, so uh, let's do a bit of setup. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Probably to anyone who is younger than us or whatever, just looks like yet another one of the billions of films about just random rubbish that Disney have accrued over the years in their live action uh, studio output. Like, I don't know. We always go back to the Shaggy Dog. That one, for some reason, is the one that always springs to mind. But um, when it came out, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was, I'm going to say, event cinema. Like, really, the only reason it wasn't... It was a big deal. Yeah. The the only reason it wasn't, like, the film of of its year is that 
uh, it came out about the same time as Tim Burton's Batman, which was incredibly popular and stuff. And, yes, um, but it was it was then, and the reason it was, even though it seems like a fairly generic, you know, wacky thing happens, Disney live action film. I think the reason that it went down so well and we all wanted to see it was because it was a big practical effects film. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. we didn't call them practical effects films then. <laughs> yes, we just called them special effects. Oh, yeah, special effects. Um, yeah, yeah. It was. It was one of the. It was. Yeah, it was one of those films that you went to to go. Oh, how are they going to do that? The draw was that they were these kids were going to be shrunk down really really small and they would have to they would be lost at one end of the garden and just have to get to the other end of the garden back to the house but which their size is a you know a significant epic undertaking exactly it's an incredible quest to go through and there's giant insects trying to kill them and stuff like this and um and so on famously th- there was one image which I was surprised to find is at the very end of the film um because it was I would say the main image in like the trailers and the advertising stuff, and that is one of the kids in a big Cheerio about to be yeah. eaten by Rick Moranis. Yeah, which is the ending yeah. of the film. Yeah, it's not what you'd put in the trailer these days. No. Um, but yeah, it's. I mean, it's a strike, and I remember, you know, that that's an image that sort of burned into my mm. head um, from, you know, being exposed to even the marketing for it at yeah. the time. It was like. There was a lot about the, the the selling of the film at the time that was just immediately very striking. And I can see why it's a concept that they've returned to, like, with this v- new video game that's come out. Because mm. it's just, you know, there's some, you know, like, I mean, people, like, kids just, I think, are naturally drawn to this idea of, like, oh, you know, the, the, the small world that exists in yeah. your regular house. Yeah. But there was something about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids that was like, you know, it was it was the state-of-the-art version of that thing. It was. And it, it was a thing that really made it feel like, oh, wow, yeah, this is... It, it's sort of the Jurassic Park of yeah. what if I shrunk down really small. Yeah, genuinely. It's the, it's the thing that made it seem like, oh, yeah, no, that's, that's what it'd be like. Mm. It'd look like this. Mm. This is the perspective. And, um... I found that, like, almost all of it completely held up as convincing effects today. Like, yeah. not all of it, but almost all of it. And particularly, the, the, like, the compositing of big things and small things. There was yes. almost no moment in the film where someone had a, a corona of blue screen around them. Oh, I mean, you could see it a bit. Yeah. Like, it, was, it wasn't so much that... It was less that sort of blue screeny type look. And it was more that, um, what's the phrase I'm thinking of? Like, matte lines, that's the phrase. Mm -hmm. You know, like, where it's more of that, like, you get on, like, the original cut of the Star Wars movies on on certain effects, like, when it's, like, a stop-motion thing put into the screen, you can see, like, a black line around it. Yeah. It was, like, it was more that sort of effect. And yes, of course, you can see that. Yeah. At times, but, like, as a piece of special effects cinema... Yeah, it does hold up. It I really holds up. And 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 like I found those times when you could see those lines surprisingly rare. Um there were lots of bits where I thought I I should be able to see them and I and and I couldn't. Really the only bits yeah. were when someone was being shrunk or grown. The effect for yeah. that required one. Um 
but there was a lot of stuff. So, like, the, the shot... I mean, basically, a lot of this film was simply done by building giant stuff and yes. having yeah. everybody interact with it. So it's not done... It's not, like, green screen style, you know, people walking around in front of real things. Um, yeah. But sometimes... So, like, there was there was one shot that I genuinely couldn't figure out how they did it. And it was the one where... Um, it's just after they've been shrunk, so they're still up in the attic. And to show you the, the perspective difference that they've been shrunk, there's a big, like, nail on the floor of the yeah. of the hammer and nail variety. And, um, you know, I think they maybe have a clamber over that or something like that. But there's this one shot where it kind of zooms out, and it's them, really small in the middle of the screen, and this yeah. nail... And the rest of it is just floor. Now, presumably, that was some form of matte painting or something, because th that would have been a lot of nothing to bother building, just a blank floor for that yeah. amount of zoom out. But I honestly couldn't see where the join was. Yeah. At all. I mean, I guess maybe they've just sort of... the You know, they've got the kids... And they've got a section of floor and they've got and, a big nail. Yeah. And then I guess composited it onto yeah. just But it was seamless. Room. Normally you can yeah. see you can figure out where the join is, and I couldn't. So we're talking about proper state of the art stuff. Picture that when you think of this film. Um so we ought to we ought to run through the plot a little bit, shouldn't we? Yeah, like yeah. and just talk about it more as a general concept because yeah. like as you say, like this was nineteen eighty nine, mm -hmm. the year yeah, the year Tim Burton's Batman came out. Uh, this was the first film, I think, yeah, first, uh, yeah, directorial debut of Joe Johnston. Yes, I heard that, yeah. is, yeah, he's just a very, I don't know, I mean, he's not a prolific director, but he's directed a lot of significant works of this type since, you know, he's yeah. done, he went on to do The Rocketeer, uh, yeah. Jumanji, yeah. Um, Jurassic Park 3, uh, more recently, he did an MCU film. He did Captain America: Winter, uh, First Avenger. Yeah, and the, interesting and, to know, me that he wasn't brought in for Ant Man. Really? No, I know. Yeah, do you know um, what I mean? Because he was yeah. already there in the Marvel Cinematic Fold, and they yeah. needed a film like he already had established that he can convincingly make it look like you're a small person in a big. <laughs> like it's really weird they didn't get him to do it. They must have asked. Him. They must have approached him. They must yeah. have. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, do you want to do another shrinking film? Yeah. And guess he didn't, but maybe he's... he will again in future, but I'll get to that. Because he's the only um, expert in that that there is in the world, yes. really. Yeah, no, I suppose he is. He's like, um, he's a guy who kind of comes from very much like a special effects background. Mm. Like he... I understood he was know. a producer on Willow or something like that, wasn't he? Um, he was a producer on Willow. He did lots of effects and kind of production work on the original Star Wars trilogy. Did he? Oh, on wow. um, on Raves of the Lost Ark. Oh. So he's like right in with Spielberg, Lucas, all those kind of people. And yeah, basically, I think he'd always, you know, like he was a guy who'd worked closely with them and was always a person who would they're like yeah you know what you should you should direct some stuff you yeah. know you should uh you should cut your teeth on some of this because you know you could do it and mm. you know frankly the fact that he's had the career that he's gone on to have shows that yeah that was correct yeah and it's obviously it stars rick moranis at the height of 
Rick Moranis being a thing, right? Yeah, this is definitely... This is when I first heard of Rick Moranis. This is my my landing landing plate for Rick Moranis, but it's... Um... Had you not already seen Ghostbusters? Well, yes, but not enough to really be, like, aware who was in it. You know what I mean? It was... Yeah. That the uh, my I mean I've said before, but my impression of Ghostbusters no, a I was five years old when I saw it, but b it was like yeah here are some people credibly pretending to be the Ghostbusters from the real Ghostbusters like <laughs> they're a bit like the yeah. Ghostbusters I'll concede yeah. Um, yeah. but not really much so no I didn't yeah. really re- I mean I would have recognised him vaguely but uh, yeah, yeah. that's all. And this was obviously before you developed any interest in uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Or it just, like yeah, exactly. This is the thing. So, like, j- after seeing him in it, we'd already had Little Shop of Horrors in real life. We'd already had, I think, Spaceballs was the year before. And, oh, um, yes, that as well, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, if, if, if we're going back in time through his career, so it's this, Spaceballs, Little Shop of Horrors, Ghostbusters. And then he started off, he was a sketch comedian in Canada, I believe. Um, yeah. And I, that might... Uh, don't take my word for this, but he might have worked with John Candy on that, and that's why John Candy knew him to recommend him for this role when John Candy turned it down. Um, oh, John Candy was going for this film. He well, he wasn't going for it. It was he was approached because it was supposed to be Chevy Chase, I think, someone like that. Yes, yes, I'm just l- looking at that. Yeah. Yes, it was Chevy Chase, and then John Candy was considered, and then and he then, said, "Yeah, well, I can't do it or won't do it, but try this guy," and it's like. Of course they should try that guy. Like it's it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, of course. This is the guy who should have been doing it all along. This is a perfect Rick Moranis film. Yeah, they they were both on SCTV together. There we go. What a guess. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen clips of SCTV once, but I couldn't remember if John Candy was in it. Is it? Yes, he was, oh. as was. Rick Moranis and frankly, a whole host of people who mm. were famous in yeah, no, I, I see. I understand that it's sort of like a, a Canadian equivalent of a "Don't Adjust Your Set" or a or a Saturday Night Live or something like that. Yeah, where a, a load of people that, yeah. came out of it. Yeah, John Candy, Eugene Levy, um, Catherine O'Hara, Harold mm. Ramis, mm. Martin Short. So yeah, that's uh, that's yeah. quite a rich crop, really. Yeah, I'm gonna have to get and... myself a. So many of those people I thought were from Saturday Night Live <laughs> that you've just said. Well, <laughs> Maybe they, maybe they did both. I'm not sure. Well, it makes it sounds to me as if you start in. If you're Canadian, you go on this, then you're snapped up for a Saturday Night Live, then you get to be in films. That, that seems reasonable. That seemed to be the the, the pathway at the mm. time, and it's weird to me that anyone else was considered to play this role. Yeah, before Rick Moranis. Yeah, given that Rick Moranis was already famous when they were making this. And he was famous exclusively as a well-meaning nerd. Yeah. Like, why would you have cast Chevy Chase as this? Oh, uh, yeah. Like, Chevy Chase's, like, persona at that time and often since is, you know, he was much more of a kind of like, um, you know, sort of a manly wisecracker yeah. kind of guy, yeah. you know? And, and John Candy would have, like, he's a bit more of the kind of, bumbling well-meaning guy but he's you know he he always seemed a bit more of a you know like a blue collar kind of character actor yeah whereas rick moranis is the guy you go to as the nerdy dude yeah if you're if you're disney live action and you're looking for a new the nutty professor and like 
Well, I suppose that, that's a stupid thing to say because they found one and it was nothing like Rick Moranis. But <laughs> yeah, well, if, yeah. if you are looking for someone to replicate that kind of character from the olden days, yeah. Rick Moranis is your guy. And yeah, yeah, he got it. He nailed it. It's great. I mean, it's, we don't know how much of it was rewritten because it was written for Chevy Chase, apparently. So it pro- probably yeah. was suited to him in the original form. But he would always have been some kind of scientist. So... Anyway, so Rick Moranis is in it. Rick Moranis, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fortunately, they did. Yeah. yeah. And um, um, what? Who plays his wife? What's her name? Um, uh, Marcia Strassman. Yeah. Now I don't know her, but I thought she was good in this, and I was glad yes. to see her come back for the second one. I believe, according, I have Wikipedia here. She was on Mash. No, <laughs> right. Um, and seems to continue to work in. Or well, up and no, no, she's she's now she's now died. She died six years ago, but oh, no. until then. Well, that's I um, mean I, I'm that's really sad, and I'm annoyed about that. But also, you delivered it in the way that made me laugh the most. So I'm struggling here because <laughs> you were like, and she seems to be well. No, she's died, but <laughs> she yep, she still seems. Oh no, <laughs> no, no, no. In fact, the opposite. <laughs> So, but I'm sad about that. She was really good. Yes, she was really good. Um, and sorely missed later on yeah. in this series, but we'll get to that later. Um, yeah, like, all of the people in the film seem to be people who've done stuff. Mm. But, like, none of them are... None of them except Rick Moranis and Matt Frewer are people who I knew, really. Okay, so, yeah, so... I'm going to start talking about who plays different characters, so we'd better say roughly what the story is, which yes. is that you've got you've got this Rick Moranis, who's this what nutty professor character. He's yeah. uh, he's he invents stuff in exactly the same way that Wallace invents stuff. And I really yeah. ought to have looked up when the wrong trousers came out. We already had Grand Day out, but it was really wrong trousers that put in that Honey I Shrunk the Kids style invent toaster machine type stuff. You know, How wrong quick- trousers ninety three. So. Wow, and when was Grand Day out? Let's find out. Grand Day out 89. was same year. Same year, yeah. But so, because it'd be tempting to say that oh, they saw this extremely popular film, Honey I Shrunk Kids, and put it into Grand Day Out, but it would have taken years to animate Grand Day Out. So probably, yeah. it was in that first. But anyway, he's that well, sort of inventor. I think the the probably more correct lineage is. Doc Brown in Back to the Future was this kind of inventor as well. Was he? I haven't seen that in so long. Right. Like, because obviously Doc Brown had an actual invention as well. But I mean, yeah. when, we, when you get the shot of his house, the establishing shot of his house, it's that kind of Rube Goldberg contraption right. designed to, to feed his dog. There we go. Is, yeah. So that, they, they literally do. Oh, yeah. They they yeah. f- they have a dog pressing piano pedals to get food out of a thing. I yeah. we've by the way we've watched b- both of the films, so I can't remember which one that's from. But yes, the dog is fed by mechanical means. Um. So anyway, this Rick Moranis, who this this particular Rick Moranis, who's an inventor <laughs> of that sort, he has yeah. this family. There's a teenage girl. There's a young boy. And there's yes. his wife. And they are all, they're sort of, you know, they all deal with the fact that he's like this. And the, the boy yes. is all science-y and the girl isn't. And she's just trying to be teenagery. And then next door, there, and they've got a dog. And next door, there's this uh, couple who is like normal wife. 
Um, yeah. And sort of like... School, working class. Ex-school footballer uh, type, sort of manly fishing and hunting type guy. And he's played by Matt Frewer, who's the guy with the gigantic jaw uh, who was in Max Headroom and he was in yeah. Star Trek and stuff. Um was he in? He's just all he's in he's all over the place, he's isn't he? All sorts of stuff, yeah. Um yeah. and his oh, and his wife is a, I can't remember her name, but she's Buffy's mum from out yeah. of off of Buffy. But sort of uh, but and that surprised me because I didn't remember that either of them were in this film at all. And I you know, having seen both of them in those things, I recognise them incredibly well. But it was a, it took Abby to go like, Oh, that's Buffy's mum. I was like, Oh, I know her from somewhere, maybe it's this. Um yeah. But she does look different, because, you know, it's a, sort of ten years earlier, I suppose. Um, yes. Whereas this is the era of Matt Frewer that I'm used to anyway. <laughs> yeah, correct, yeah. Um, and um, so, and, and they've got kids as well. Uh, there's like a... How would you describe the, two, the their kids? There's So there's the little kind of naughty one, right? Is Wait, yeah. are, they, are the two remaining kids both their kids? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So there's the the naughty one who wears a backwards baseball cap and throws oh, yeah. things. In fact, isn't it him that gets a that he throws a baseball through the window and that sets off the shrink ray in the first place? That's sort of yes, thing. correct. Yeah. So he's naughty. And then there's his older teenage brother who's just sort of a teenager and doesn't. Well, it's like he's his dad, who's as you say, this hunting and fishing sort of rednecky adjacent kind of guy yeah. wants his son to be like just that. like him. Yeah. He wants him to come on the fishing trip and uh, play baseball and his son is you know he's a bit more sensitive than that and he yeah. doesn't really want to do that but is kind of going along with it and you know he's just a bit of a misfit. He's an awkward teenager. I'm struggling to think of anything that he because you know it's been a couple of films now. I've watched a few more things since I watched this. Does he? Is there anything that he is rather than that he isn't? Because he's defined well, by not really fitting in with what his dad wants. What What does he do? Yeah, I can't. Like, I know he doesn't want to do baseball. Yeah, but I don't remember what he does want. Okay. to do instead. I think he's just a boy. Okay, so he's there as well. And then, um, now, what I want to say is that uh, th- these four end up together, and they end up shrunk down, and they end up at the end of the garden. Um, the the younger boy, who you know of of Rick Moranis's children, yeah, is brilliant in this. I, he's I, very, he, yeah. he's weirdly good. Like he's um very little. He's very very young, or at least he seems yeah. to be. But he's like the best actor out of all four of them. I would say he's completely convincing. He made me laugh whenever he was supposed to. He was yeah. great. Um, yeah. Just really good, and I was really glad that because I remembered that he does get to be the main kid in the sequel. Um, yes, a, a, to a certain definition of the main kid, we'll get there. But yeah, I was glad because he was really good in this film. Yeah, I agree. I thought he and the younger brother from the other family were the two standouts, really. Because I mean, you know, like the the other younger brother is. I mean, I guess those two benefit from playing more cartoonish yes. personalities. You've got the ultra nerdy, precocious science kid, mm-hmm. and then the opposite. Yeah, of that. yeah, the, yeah the, the 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 bratty, rebellious. Yeah, I want to knock my baseball through some windows, kid. Yeah, and 
yeah, and so I suppose they had a bit more to play with, whereas the other two were <clears throat> the straight men, so to speak. Yeah, uh, you know, they're the ones who do the teenage romance thing. Yes, and like it all works nicely. Yeah, it does. You know? The dynamic is nice. It's a nice film. It's a good <laughs> film. This is a good film. Um, feel like if you've thought, if you've put sort of put it aside, going like, oh, that's this old kitsch film. Because I haven't seen this since I was a kid. Because I thought, I, oh, I've I've seen that. Like that's that's done. It was a thing that came out then. There's no reason to see it again. I was very pleasantly surprised by watching this. That it is a good film. It is worth watching. Um, huh. I can't really think. I can't now remember any reason not to go and watch it. It's good. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's short. It's breezy. Yeah entertaining and like the thing for me that's like <clears throat> makes this feel like a film like yeah. that it's a very low stakes story yeah like. uh it's just you know this there's, there's nothing epic about the stakes of the adventure it's not even presented as being that noteworthy no it's just like oh it, a wacky accident happened to these kids and now they've got to get across the garden yeah but like the thing that makes it feel like a film as opposed to just something that would be on the Disney Channel, which again we'll we'll get to later, um, is the fact this the craftsmanship. Yeah. You know? This is obviously like a real work of you know, they they've they've really put on a show here, Yeah. They? Uh it's it really feels like it's almost like it, it, you know, almost has the quality of like, like you've gone to see a magic show or something, yeah. or it's just, what can we do with our phys- with our with our tool of physical production tricks to create this sensation of these kids have been shrunk down? What kind of sets can we build? What kind of big giant props can you can we use? What kind of neat in camera, you know, perspective trickery can we use to make it look like they're how tall are they? How how small are they meant to be? Well, they're they're sufficiently small that an ant is incredibly big. Yeah, but not incredibly big like Godzilla, but incredibly big like I don't know. Oh. Yeah, maybe maybe bigger, but yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I don't like I don't know measurements well enough no. to describe how tall that is. They're very oh, they're small enough that they can literally be jumping up and down, waving their arms and shouting like in front of their parents and they can't tell. Yes, they can't be seen, they can't be heard. So I don't know, I guess that's like Oh, I know exactly how big they are. They're exactly big enough to fit inside a Cheerio. Like with room to spare. To be so, so like a Cheerio is like paddling pool sized around them. It's really small, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, in fact, I feel as if that's an inconsistency with the rest of the film because that ant would have been bigger. Uh, oh no, an ant! I'm, I'm comparing an ant to a Cheerio. That yeah, an ant is smaller than a Cheerio. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's it, probably quite consistent actually. Less than a millimeter, right? Yeah. You know, like almost like speck of dust size, I suppose. Yeah, they're really little. Yes, exactly. Um, but. They can sleep in the the sort of pipe hole in the underside of a Lego brick. Yeah, like comfortably, multiple comfortably roll around. Yeah, uh, it can fit in them. But like, I don't. When when we say all these things, I'm not sure that the size, the scale is completely consistent no. throughout. But whatever. Yeah, it's fine. 
But it never, but, it's never bad. It never makes you go, well, that doesn't work. No. There's, no, but, there's never a bad bit in the film where it's rubbish. No, exactly. It's just, it's, uh, Neurodolphin in the chat says, it's supposed to be three quarters, three quarters of an inch or 19 millimeters. That no. can't be true. No. That, no, 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 no. <laughs> they are not three quarters of an inch. No. They are. Yeah. Because that's huge compared to them. That's huge. Yeah, that's really huge. No. Anyway. <laughs> they're, they're dead small. Yeah. <laughs> you really feel like they're really small. Yeah, you do. And and the you are in you're on their scale so rather than the camera like peering and looking at them little it only ever does that when you're from the perspective of the of the parents usually you are down in the grass in this jungle setting that they're having to fight their way through yeah. and figure out how to survive um and they have built so much yeah. right it's all like, completely it's all practical it's all sets it's all giant props yeah it's you know i, I wonder you know, by if, square uh, footage. Or if whatever, anyone, if feel? anyone heard that sound in the chat, can you tell me what application makes that sound so I can make it stop? Okay, carry on. <laughs> I've never heard this sound. No, so it's, it, it won't be coming through your your headphones. Okay. Oh, uh, says that was Streamlabs. Oh, what? That's that's OBS. That's the streaming thing. How? But, well, what, why would the streaming thing make a noise that goes on your stream? Oh, that's when someone follows you. Oh, okay, uh, thanks for the follow. <laughs> that... Thanks for the follow, but not the interruption. Yeah. <laughs> um... Okay, now, no, I've, I've now changed my mind and I think it's good. So thanks for the interruption and any further interruptions will be good. We had a couple of them go off before I started the stream. and I'm like, what is that? How do I stop it? <laughs> Oh, and by the way, I've got, thanks to Jahan, some pastels, <laughs> and they're the nice ones, because I don't, I've, I, dis I discovered that I don't really like normal packets of pastels when we had them for the Sonic thing, because they have the green ones, the orange ones, and the yellow ones, which I'm just never keen on, but the red ones and the black ones, oh yes, so he's now got me some just red ones and black ones, yum, 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 so I'm going to have one now, um, carry on. Oh god, he's, now he's this podcast one of these pastel eating podcasts it is as long as you keep bringing me past pastels yeah sorry yeah, yeah. them's the rules I, I i i've really made a rod for my own back here yeah uh i have my own pastels in the but uh, no 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 let's not go down that path towards madness <laughs> i have higher standards than, than mcfeely does mm. so i'm not i'm not well, tolerating the thing is he does have high standards the problem is you both have a, a common denominator, which is bringing oh, yeah. both of your podcasts down. <laughs> uh, well, we do what we can anyway. Anyway, leaving aside fruit pastels and the exact size of the people in this film. Yeah, one of whom um, I could have just eaten if there was one. Yeah, yeah. that's horrifying, by mm, the way. Yeah. Like, when, when watching it as a kid, it's just like, oh, it's some antics. Now it's like... He was going to eat his own okay, son. Okay, so, the the yeah, while this battle across the garden is going on, about as much of the film is concerned with Rick Moranis and Mrs. Moranis and the neighbours, and they have quite a robust story of their own, with their own little arcs and so on. And there's a lot of 
bits where you know there's a there's a, a bit that I remember being very memorable where <laughs> that was a stupid thing to say, but anyway, where. <laughs> Rick Moranis has like set himself up dangling from a kind of turny roundy um what do you call Contract. those things it that you have the the boomers have in the garden and it's an upside down pyramid and they hang clothes off them Th- those things yeah um, yeah like a clothes pole thing, thing. that's yeah. I, I think it's made out of one of them and it's turning round and he's hanging from it in a harness and he's like got a big magnifying glass in front of his face and he's looking for them and then the the wife comes home and he tells her and then they're both on this harness looking and meanwhile it, it creates this effect where any time anyone just walks normally you're going like ah ah no yeah, yeah frankly that bothered me yeah. a little bit yeah. because before he sets up the big sort of harness contraption he's on a pair of like uh stilts mm. or something and he's walking around the garden using, you know, with a magnifying helmet, using these stilts to sort of walk around yeah. instead of feet. And I was watching that thinking, like, that doesn't help. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. Like, you're still standing on the garden. Yeah. Like, if anything, if you stood on them with those, there's less, you know, like, if you stood on them with your, with your feet... There's a bigger surface area. Yep. There's like rivets and stuff. Yeah, they could roll into the bits shoe. in your shoe soles, yeah. Whereas if they get stood on by those weird springy crutch things that you're using, they are dead. All yeah. of them are dead. Yep. Get get a grip, Rick Moranis. <laughs> I, I screamed at the screen. Well, and he does. So and then, then he does. He does then he sort did. that exact problem out. Yeah, although we don't we never find out how he gets there. There's a lot of good physical performance from rick in this like there's a bit where he he like what is it he does he's like on something like on the gate and he like clambers his way along the garden fence and yeah so it was not to touch the grass yeah and it's the sort of thing that you know i suppose you would expect a stunt person to do but it's definitely him doing it so you're like, oh well done yeah good. well i mean it's less a, you know it's it's more a bit of physical business isn't it it's like of the type that 90s jim carrey would do mm. and Frankly, the other the other main issue I had with the dangling the, the dangling Moranis contraption <laughs> is I did not I, I hadn't remembered for how long he actually is using that in mm. the film. Like he's there for like hours on that contraption and then later his wife joins him on it. You know, they must be on there for six hours or something like that at least. And to me, it strains credibility <laughs> that ni- that none of the, the the kids don't see them. At any yeah, point. no, I know. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, no, I completely agree. I I didn't have so much of a problem with that because I was just allowing that normal grass and like normal like undulations in the soil would would create mountains for them to have to see beyond. But yeah. they would have heard them. They yeah. they were having conversations with each other about about it. Yeah, and they're they're swinging yeah. all over the place. Yeah. They've got like torches mounted on their own heads. Yeah, like you know, like I said, it to me, it. I think it was a mistake from a kind of a story stakes perspective yeah. to have them dangling there for as long as they are. Right. Yeah. Because I just can't believe that the kids wouldn't have seen them. Yeah, yeah, you're right there. Um, the 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 film is good enough that it prevented me from really thinking of that. But yeah, yeah, you're right there. But like I say, it's 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 not 
it's not an issue. And like, frankly, I was beyond that detail, generally quite pleased with the sort of the way in which the film was constructed so that the story flows. Like, it's it's a principle that like the people the example people usually point to when they're taught when they talk about this concept of storytelling is is the original die hard but the idea that like you establish the geography of your setting nice and early and you establish and any items that you introduce and or any like plot develops that happen through environmental changes it all tracks and it all follows and you know where you are and you know oh i see so they found this item and of yeah. course that would lead them logically to that conclusion and I thought that this film had a good sense of that, like the mm -hmm. fact that the fact that because it's a you know <clears throat> it's a bit of a writing challenge to get Rick Moranis to realize his children have been shrunk, right? I I would find it difficult to come up with a reason why would you know why would he ever even find out that they've been shrunk? Yeah, but what they come up with is the baseball bat gets left in their yard and it's like he picks it you know and there's well, well, yeah like it's the bit where they're they've agitated some bees and they're riding around on a bee and he picks up the baseball bat off the ground that's been left yes. there to fend off the bee yeah he's swinging then, this thing so we're we're a little camera going getting swung at by rick moranis going whoa yeah and that's obviously a bit of action. But mm. then, after that scene, it becomes a multi-purpose thing. Yeah. Of like, wait, I've picked up a baseball bat off the ground. None of my kids play yeah. baseball. Why is this here? And that's when he then looks up, sees the window has been smashed, goes up into the uh, attic and realizes that, you know, that the kids have been shrunk and that the machine's been tricked. Well, he finds his, his comfy sitting sofa. His, his sitting yes. sofa. That's what he uses yeah. it for. <laughs> um because he's weird like that that's 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 been he, he goes to sit down and he just yeah, falls yeah. and you're like well i'm glad they weren't in there and he um yeah. and then he finds it and uh yeah he yeah. pieces it together through the little clues they've left behind but the film pieces together the journey that he takes mm. to get him from i'm just in my garden mm. to oh my kids have been shrunk and i need to look for them yeah and to me that's just that's careful writing yeah. that I appreciate. Yeah. Um, it's good. It's that, good. Yeah. That's what I'm saying about this film. It's remarkably consistently structured and yeah. establishes sort of storytelling rules one that of the it things, largely sticks to. One of the things that we were sort of feeling during it was that a lesser version of the same film, which we sort of thought it was going to be, um, would have not told the wife and that would be a big part of it that he's trying to yeah. deceive her that he hasn't done anything um things like that things like you know they set up that the they never hit you with an unrealistic moment where all the parents go now we think our children are missing and have been kidnapped or whatever it's it's a gradual like because it's the 80s so like you did let your kids yeah. out and trust them and they'll be fine but then there's this yeah. gradual like are they all right? Are they okay? Okay, I'm going around to our friend's house to find out if they're okay. But still, nobody's panicking, and it just gradually gets to where they're like, "Okay, yeah, something's going on." And then Rick figures out what's his name, Wayne, Wayne Zelinsky. Yes. Yeah, it's all plotted in a way that 
carries the viewer along satisfyingly without ever making them go like, oh, okay, now I've got to deal with this. It's It all happens yeah. in the right order. Yeah, it's good. And you're not dealing with... Because obviously, you know, it. these are sort of slightly cartoonish people, mm. but they're not so cartoonish no. that you're working, that you're having to deal with the fact of like, at some point, these characters are going to make cartoon character decisions. Yes. And I will just have to roll with that, even though it will strike me as a completely illogical reaction or thing to do in this situation, because it's just one of those 90s Disney yeah. films. But no, like, they react in a way that I found pleasingly logical. Yeah. And, and, and go along a natural, believable pathway of, like, the development of their understanding of the situation yeah. and react accordingly. Yeah. Like, I like that. And, and the kids are doing that, too. And, yeah, it's just, you know, it, it was much more solid in that regard than I'd expected it to be and that I, than I remembered it being. Yeah. I thought it was a... I mean, look, it is a goofy film, but I, I expected it to be dumber yeah. than it was. Yeah, I, I think... Now, I could be wrong about this, because I also haven't seen this since the 90s. I think what I was thinking of, tonally, was Jumanji, which I think is a bit dumber than this, or at least a little bit more run-around and shouty sort of sort of film than this, a bit. Um, yeah. Whereas in this, everyone's being perfectly sensible. Like, the kids, when they shrink down, they just analyse the situation, and they figure out what they can and can't do, and what they're going to need to do, and, you know... Yeah. It, it, they're all very responsible. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I like yeah, that. I know, yeah. <laughs> I know, and it's like it's a film that's just based on situational problem yeah. solving. And yeah, just yeah, yeah. I just I like yeah. it. I like it. The, the Matt Frewer dad, who could have been like a really a real pain in the ass antagonist neighbor, he isn't that because firstly, no. firstly, it's Matt Frewer, so it's it's always there's there's just something likable about him anyway. And then, yeah. secondly, he's quite reasonable as well. When he starts to realise that, that what's going on is more important now than whether or not his kid is any good at football or baseball or whatever he happens to Or whether to, they're going to go on the fishing trip. On the fishing trip, yeah. Once he twigs that something worse than that is going on, he yeah. starts to behave himself in a, in a perfectly respectable way as well. <laughs> I, I have to say, I really liked the Matt Frewer yeah. character. Yeah. Like, I found him really compelling for some reason. Yeah. And, like, part of that, and I said this to you privately, is the fr Matt Frewer's performance in this film, it's like he's the sort of the pre-evolved stage of 90s Jim Carrey. Yeah. Like, the, the way he's delivering his lines, some of the way he's throwing himself physically into his enunciation of his words, it's like, wow, you know, you... <laughs> You walked so Ace Ventura could run, in a way. <laughs> like, yeah, You know what I mean? You I know do. what I mean? It's the cadence of the way he delivers the lines. But it's also like, I just think he invests that character with like a surprising amount of humanity. Yeah. Like, and I don't, I don't know where I'm coming from when I say this. What do you mean? You know what I mean? Like, I don't, because, you know, he's, he is kind of just like, just a cartoonish, like, mm, I'm a baseball dad. Yeah, but you see, guy. this is one of those... There's a few of these characters where you expect it to be a lot more of a stereotype or an archetype than it is. Yeah. And it's because in the script it kind of is. And then the person playing that character just was better than that. 
And there's a, yeah. there's loads of characters like that, and they're I I love them. I love it when that happens. And it, yeah. I, and I'm more aware of when it happens in older films. Um, maybe that's just because I'm attuned to that, to seeing it there, where I'm like, oh, I thought that was a lot broader than it was, and actually this is quite a nuanced performance. Um, you know, it's my, like, I'm... go on. Well, my go-to one is Patch the Elf in Santa Claus the Movie, played completely <laughs> straight by Dudley Moore as just yeah. a guy who's trying to advance in a in a a, a company at something he's good at, and. Um, it's that sort of thing where it's like they didn't need to put all that work into portraying this character, but because they're someone who's just good at performing, they did. Yeah. And, and Matt Frewer is one of those people. He's just good at his job. Yeah, I mean, like that's it. I, you know, I, the, the thought occurred to me, like, look, I am not saying that... I'm not necessarily saying that I thought Matt Frewer's performance was a genuinely moving and nuanced portrait wounded working class american masculinity you know giving way and they were awakening to more a more liberal progressive outlook in you know post cold war america <laughs> but i'm not not saying yeah, that it's either like, quite close you know to I'm... being isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. Like, they I, like i said he just seemed to take it really seriously <laughs> like and <laughs> and bring something to that role and it was a massive massive shame to me that they didn't come back yeah oh yeah equals. yeah i was really, like i don't think i ever got i was quite looking forward to yeah. the idea that 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 matt frewer and his family were going to be in at least one of the sequels matt frewer is not one of the people where it's like well obviously they couldn't get him back for the sequel because it's like yeah he, he, he he's ubiquitous and we know his face from various stuff but he you know, it's more of a surprise they got Rick Moranis back than that they didn't than that they if they had got Matt Frewer back. If you see what I mean, like yeah, no, I know. And if, if yeah. you can sort that out, why can't you get Matt back? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know either. It's just it it creates a really the the because you know ultimately the emotional story hmm. of this film is the bonding of these two, you know, they, these chalk and cheese families. Yes, you know, like. Matt Frewer's lot obviously think of their crazy neighbours as a bunch of nerds and weirdos and oddballs or whatever. You know, the only one of them who seems to have any time for the Zelinskis is the older son who, you know, obviously has a, a far-off crush on the daughter. Yeah. But as the film goes on, it's like it's not just that the two sets of kids come together and come to understand each other and come to like each other, but the two sets of parents do as well. Yeah. And it's just done really nicely. Yeah, it's it's I was fascinated by how much there was for an adult audience in this film that I'd been completely unaware of the first time round, you know? Like yeah. I like I like I was watching a different set of characters this time than I was as a kid. Same, yeah. That's it. Like, yeah, you're much more inclined to see <clears throat> the adults as equally the main characters if not more so and their job of protecting their kids was like the main thing yeah yeah and you empathize and you feel more deeply the you know the sense of loss that they would feel at like wait where are our kids exactly you know whereas when you're a kid you watch that and it's like Oh, the you know the mum and dad miss the kids, so that means they need to go find them. You know, it's like you you view them in a utilitarian yeah. sense. It's like, 
you know, okay, they've reached the point where they're missing their kids now. That means they will take action yeah. and they will they will they will get on the case and they'll come in and solve the problem. Whereas now you you kind of feel it. Yeah. You know, you feel like, oh crap, you know, these people's children have disappeared. What can we talk about next? I wanted to talk about right. To what degree did you feel sad about the ant? Because I did. I felt I didn't really feel sad about the ant. You didn't feel um, sad about the ant. It I was don't. A nice ant. In this moment now, I don't really remember feeling sad about the ant. But also, I don't really remember watching that bit. Maybe I was looking at. Maybe I was carefully looking at my yogurt I was stirring at the time or something. I don't know. Um, you Amy was the always... death of the ant. I don't think I missed it. I think it just doesn't concern me very much. But, you know, uh, Abby was sad, of course. She's uh, Although she was more remembering being sad about it as a kid. Um, I didn't remember being that sad about it. No. But I was sad this time. No, I, I was unmoved originally. Cause... I was newly sad about it. Like, nice ant. It was a nice... It, it was, was a really nice... Um, what do you call it? Like prop model yeah. or whatever. Uh, you know, it had it had a lot of character to it. Like, and I like the way that they, you know, they again, it's it's a film that does pay attention to character arcs and dynamics and using the events for more than just like mayhem. They use it to take characters on a journey, and like I like the role that the bonding with this ant played in softening the character of the little yes you know the little brother character you know the the, the you know the, the more rebellious one the yeah. one who's you know too too cool for school in that 90s sort of confrontational i'm a backward baseball cap kid yeah. sort of way but then he's the one who makes who has this really fond relationship with with this aunt that they befriend and then yeah. he's the one who's most broken up when it you know heroically gives its life to save them from what I thought was quite an intimidating scorpion. Yeah. Like, that worked well. It I did. just thought, Yeah, like, I just... I thought that whole section worked well, with the exception of... I was made very uncomfortable by the fact that when they go and find that... What, what was it? When they find the cake in the garden or whatever. Yeah. Where they, where, you know, where they meet the ant. Was it is a thing, big Oreo or something, wasn't it? It was something like that, but it really grossed me out that they just started eating it. I know! That's been out in the garden! Yeah! They've got... In the garden! They've got a dog. That, yeah! <laughs> that's... That, at the very least, that skittered over it with its paws and stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. But then, but you see, my justification for that was similar to um, when the little boy was not... Uh, hay fevery, but when he landed in a load of pollen, it's like germs are too big to infect them. So technically, it's probably fine. Like, I guess. Or, or would you just have a really big germ in your body? <laughs> oh man, yeah, yeah. I mean, Ooh. I don't know. It was at least it, to me. It was the fact that they were they were just pulling off cream or whatever from the outside from the outside yeah no you yeah. dig dig right in and have some from yeah. inside that's fine that would be okay yeah. but like you no know, like the, the parts of it that were exposed to the elements and the drool and the yeah literal insects yeah they're just no that was and gross. like also in the film we establish that people just just anyone 
it, who is ever in the local vicinity just walks all over their garden at the drop of a hat. So like, yeah. like that, because there was that that kid who just what were they doing? Was it like the the paperboy kid or whatever just walked across the garden at one one point? Are we talking about the lo- the lawnmower kid? Are we talking about the lawnmower kid? I just remember someone showing up at the back gate and walking all the way through, and it being like, oh no. There was a lawnmower kid, and then there were those two people who were buying a house from the wife. Yeah. No, I'm not thinking um, of them. It was a kid I'm thinking of. So it must have been okay. the lawnmower kid, yeah. It must have been the lawnmower kid. And he probably didn't even come through the back gate. I was just probably wrong about that. That was probably around the front of the house where they weren't even or something. I don't know. Again, the lawnmower kid is... It's another good example of the film setting up a Chekhov's gun and yeah. then firing it. Yeah, you that know? was really good. Because, yeah, so like early on in the film... The because of Wayne Selinsky being an inventor, he has this this mad contraption of a lawnmower that that the the little boy basically gets this other boy to want to mow his lawn for him. It's like that's a chore he's supposed to do, but he's like, yeah. "I'll let you have a go on the lawnmower." He's like, "Oh, cool! Can I come back later?" And I should be cleverer than this. I'd completely forgotten that setup. I didn't realize it was set up, and then. Just randomly, he shows up and goes, "Well, here I am to mow the lawn." I'm like, "Oh no, yeah. that worked yeah. really effectively." Exactly. Like, this pastel hopefully will in my mouth. <laughs> Let me know if it goes wrong. <laughs> so far, it is effective. <laughs> so far, it's functioning within normal parameters. <laughs> oh, that's good to know. That's good to know, given that I bought them. I mean, yeah. Feel you know personally or if not legally culpable if it did go wrong um <laughs> neither really uh, no but yeah like it's i personally don't have that much more to say on this particular film no. it's just like it's good it's high quality yeah like it's a high quality film made by you know like quite a lot of talented people who you know who are noteworthy in their own way and like yeah, it just it, it just feels like a real movie, basically. I'll tell you what, uh, one, what uh, something I want to mention before we move on mm. is that I I don't have any vivid vivid memories of like going to see this film, or at least I thought I mm. didn't until I found something out, which I'll say in a minute. But this film feels like what my memory of the way films used to be feels like. So Oh like, yeah. I think oh. I, I think it's this film that I'm thinking of. Yeah. Something about I don't know, something about the epicness of it, something about the the weird combination of really easily identifiable how they did it effects but combined with this sense of scale and wonder. Yeah, yeah. I think I kind of remember going to see this. Um but what really solidified it is that it turns out that this is the film before which played the um, Roger Rabbit short cartoon, which I think I've mentioned on this podcast yes. before, as yeah. basically distressing my mum quite intensely. Um, <laughs> it was played before this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I've, so I must have gone to see this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, just, I feel like I have a memory of, if not seeing this. I definitely saw the next one in the cinema. I no, can't I, say that. I'm not sure I did. I can't, wait, now that I'm thinking of it, I can't have seen this one in the cinema within my memory because I was three. Um, it's still... I've got... I went. I remember seeing Bambi when I was about that age. It can happen. I, I, 
I wouldn't have a strong memory of it, but I do have a strong memory of watching this on TV and so mm. forth. But and it just has that feel, doesn't it, of a certain way films were once. I do wonder, it makes me wonder, like, I, you know, did they ever um, create these sets as, like, a thing to see? You know what I mean? Nope. You know, like, somewhere where you can, like, tour the, tour, you know, see these props or whatever. Oh, well, they did, but I don't think it would have come here. It, it was a Disneyland thing. No, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that I think I've seen it, but oh. it's just, like, it just seems like a great thing to do, you know? Yeah, well, they what, what there is that's like that is that Disneyland, briefly, or Disney World, actually, it was probably MGM, the, the park, had... A sort of play area that was done up like the garden from this film, uh, but it wasn't yeah. the actual props from this film or anything. It was yeah, it was just because I would love to see the actual props from this film. Yeah, I don't remember what show it was from, but they, I w there was a set there of giant things. You know, oh. it was like a giant living room, like you know, big what? furniture and stuff like that. It must have. I don't know what huh. what TV show they were props from but i very vividly remember being in a giant living room whilst on the granada studios tour did they do being... did they do the borrowers here it could be it could be something like it would make sense to me if it was a borrowers thing ah i found someone asking what it was i'll let you know in just a moment aha um Why, what, what are they, what are they saying well they're saying was the giant's room the borrowers or the mini pins or something similar so uh -huh. I'm uh, I'm just going to keep scrolling this as we talk. <laughs> yeah. It was from Return of the Antelope. Yeah, no no, like so I'm I'm glad to know that that wasn't a false memory. No, anyway. that that definitely existed. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm 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 surprised that you were unaware of this. Uh what, the Granada Studios giant room? Yeah, it just seems like the exact type of thing that you would have visited as a child. Well, it does, but it's in exactly the wrong place. Manchester's hours away from where I grew up. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose so, yeah. I don't know, like, a big giant room seems like the kind of thing you would actually take a car trip to go and I see. Can, yeah, I can imagine doing that... Um, but remember that the main reason people go to Granada Studios is to go to Coronation Street, which would have been yeah. the exact antithesis of anything anyone in my family would be prepared to want to do. So yeah. that that you know that's why we didn't go to that. Like there may well, as far as I know, there might be a giant room at Old Trafford, but I wouldn't <laughs> have seen it. <laughs> I follow football, as you know, and I can confirm that there is a giant room in Old Trafford. <laughs> There's giant rooms everywhere that I don't think of going. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> you know, or every dance club has a giant, has a giant room. In it. Dance club. It's where yeah. they strike up the band. Yeah. That's where they. No. Yep. They strike up the band, and it's a giant band. At 1920s, like dance yeah. clubs. Well, uh, I mean. Actually, to be honest, a, 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 an actual 1920s dance club is exactly the sort of place I would be likely to go because they used to have giant steam organs, which I'm well into. I would have loved to see them. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, well, no, nobody's answering the question in this old uh, thread of why there was a giant room. So maybe, maybe it was just there by accident. 
<laughs> yeah, maybe someone <laughs> accidentally zapped a normal room so they thought they'd put it on display. <laughs> maybe, maybe the head of ITV at that time was a giant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had to have a special room set up. Yeah, maybe that was it. Maybe one, maybe one of the actors in Coronation Street was a giant <laughs> and they just did it with forced perspective. They were always standing in the distance. Well, like Ken Barlow is actually just like... A- Oh tall. wait, no 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 wait. Is that who is it Ken Barlow that you sometimes see striding across the horizon in Manchester? <laughs> Cause that would explain it if that's who that is. Yeah, it is, it is, yeah. Oh, I've always wondered who that was. <laughs> and yet you've never previously Googled it. <laughs> Who's the giant in Manchester? <laughs> it's accepted it as like no, oh, whatever. Yeah. Well, no, because what it is is that I've never actually seen him because I'm <laughs> surrounded by buildings that act as in the way that Blades of Grass would if a giant right. Rick was looming <laughs> over me. So I've never seen him because, you know, yeah. I live in the city centre, more or less. I mean, that's not true, but... It's no, the, none, none, that's not... For the record, none of what you're saying is that true. No, no, no. All of it is apart from the bit where I accidentally said I was living in the city centre. What I meant was, Manchester <laughs> being a very large area, I live yeah. relatively close to what is in fact the city centre, relative to the rest of Manchester. But anyway, it's buildings I'm saying around here. So yes, I've never seen buildings. I've never seen the giant Ken Barlow. But I have heard him talking about how he's going to um, grind our bones to make his bread and stuff. <laughs> that stuff. That stuff he's always going on about, about smelling is- the blood of an Englishman, that stuff. His his classic catchphrase from Coronation Street. <laughs> yeah. Like, because I don't watch Coronation Street. As far as I know, there might yeah. be loads of episodes where they're all just getting on with things and then you do hear, free <laughs> That might be why everyone watches it. <laughs> You've really been missing out. Yeah, well, I mean, not really. I mean, that's the spoiler now. What, what, else, what else does Coronation Street have to, give, to offer me now? No, I suppose. Now I know well, that. Well, this seems like an excellent segue it does actually, to, the next, it? To, to the next film in the series. Yeah. Um, which I definitely did see in the cinema uh-huh. and never remembered particularly liking or thinking was any good. Yeah. But going back and watching it this time, thought was all right. Yeah. I, okay, so what, my story is that I don't know if I saw this at the cinema, but I know that I saw it at home. Um and I assumed as well that it was going to be rubbish. But actually, yeah. I found it perfectly good. Well, no, actually, let me be more explicit. I found the first about hour of it to be more or less as good as the first one. Or at least yeah. not in the same ways, but like a good film. And then there was about maybe 40 minutes, half an hour. That like There was quite a lot at the end of the film where I felt like they were just having to pad for time, weirdly. Like it all suddenly got stretched out. It was more to me. It was more a sense of like, okay, we've reached like the finale of mm. the film, but we we've not really done that much with the giant kid yeah. yet. So let's just spitball twenty minutes worth of ideas of things the giant kid could do, just so we've That's got exactly it. So we've got our money's worth, and the audience can say they got their money's worth for the concept. Even yeah. though we don't really have an ongoing story to tell now, yeah. now it's just twenty minutes of the kid being giant. Yeah, because even though I didn't remember what the what the uh, conclusion of the film is, so uh, as I'm sure you can all guess, uh, listeners, viewers, the plot of this one is that this Funny time I blew up the kid. Yeah, is that this time the Ray grows things and he has a new baby or a toddler who gets grown 
and that's the story and the, and the and the baby is really big and it is a little bit godzillary and it walks around in this case in las vegas now i didn't remember how they solved the problem of the baby being no big. nor did i nor did i but really early in the film it became incredibly clear to me that the answer was to grow the mum because they that it's it's just clear at some point that what is needed here is for the mum to hug the baby and make it calm down and there's all other things they could try but that's what's needed and for about at least 20 minutes between my figuring that out and them doing that they just kept doing nonsense stuff that there's no way was a good enough solution like yeah. like making it run through the streets of Las Vegas after a big fake ice cream and <laughs> stuff like that like i get they had they set up a thing where Wayne a returning Rick Moranis. In fact, everyone's returning. They, in fact, this is weird. So they all basically return, or at least everyone from the Rick Moranis family. Um, yeah. But right at the start, the daughter goes, I'm off to college, and mm-hmm. the mum drives her off to college. And I thought, that's weird, because it seemed as if that was an excuse to write these two characters out of the film. But in fact, you're only writing one of the characters out of the film. And that's weird. Like, you've got to... It's, I don't know why they wrote her out of the film. Well, actually, I do, and I'll tell you in a minute. Why? Well, this is quite interesting, actually. It's because this whole film was completely written, and I think greenlit, yep. before they figured out, wait, this should be a sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, it was a completely separate script. Yeah, in which all of the characters who are in the film now had analogues in that script. And they yeah. they were just able to slot the characters from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids into existing scripts without apparently changing anything, except yeah. there was no uh, older sister character. So they wrote her, rather than write her into the story, which I feel yeah. would have been the sensible thing to do, they wrote her out of the story by hiring her, you know, getting her to stop whatever other work she was doing, getting her in to go, yeah. hello, I'm not in this film, and get in a car and drive off. And that seems like a weird halfway solution to the problem. I mean, I quite, I get, I know, yes, but I also like the continuity. Yeah, I, I, I like, yeah, I like, you know, I like it in the same way that I like in, um, in the Lost World Jurassic Park, <laughs> that that Tim and Lex turn up mm. to to say that they're not in this film. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It just. There's no point to Tim and Lex being in the Lost World, other than yeah, like you say, to come along and announce that yeah, no, we're not in this one. But it just—it's it, nice to see them, and it's nice to know that oh, okay, all those characters continue to exist. They're just getting yeah. on with something else. But my you know? question is, why not then write Jurassic Park: The Lost World so that there is a point to having Tim and Lex be in it and have them be in it? Like, I guess. I mean, in the case of Lost World, uh-huh. or and in the case of this, yeah. I suppose they have a specific kid role in there that's already serving its own specific purpose mm-hmm. that wouldn't necessarily be com- complemented by yeah. having an older sister character yeah. here just there tagging along. Yeah, and because she's now college age, that yeah. does make her just another grown-up. To add to the pile yeah. of grown-ups. So, like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, fair enough. So, who would she be with? Would she be with... Would she be with Nick, the, you know, the little brother? 
and there being there as kind of an, an adult figure supervising his storyline or would she be with the mom and dad mm. as a sort of a third wheel like you yeah. could do either but i understand why they're like we can streamline this by just yeah it. if she was with the parents then she would just be a third wheel if she was with the boy then that would make it harder for him to do all the leching that the film wants him to do so <laughs> so yeah i can yeah okay i get it actually yeah like i mean you know i i, I think you've already outlined the uh the setup of this film like well enough but I suppose the import, the other important thing to note here is that at the outset of this film, they've all moved. Mm. You know, they, they 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 live in a brand new place now, so they're not neighbours with Matt Frewer's family no. anymore. Which, as I say, feels like a tremendous shame to me. It does, if, in two ways. Firstly, we're robbed of the performances we might get and the yeah. continuity as well. But also, I found it a, a bit sort of uncomfortable in the first film where they have this kind of class war moment where the, the like one of the kids of of wayne Solinsky says to one of the kids of matt frewer like well we're about to be rich anyway so you better like i think it's the daughter even says like we're about to be really rich so you better do what i say and then yeah. the the young son is like oh did i ever say i think your family's really cool and like yeah. that was a bit weird, but now it has come to pass, and they have left them behind, and they are—they <laughs> are just stuck in this like unhappy, like because they're not that happy of a family. They're a bit dysfunctional, and yeah, and it, I don't know. I didn't. It didn't sit well with me that with the, the film has gone like, yeah, forget them, yeah, never mind yeah. that lot. <laughs> yeah, I like. I'm sure they would have used them if this had been an original script. Yeah. Um. But it's a shame to lose them, mm. honestly. Like, you know, because the development of that bond between the two families was the nicest part of the first film. But, you know, like I say, I do think this film is quite functional. It's, in it's the... quite good, yeah. Um, Again, I was really surprised, as I was in the first one, by how good the little kid was in it. I... I was gonna, say, you know. Well, we should say, uh, kids. You know, it's uh, two. Uh, yes, two it's twins. Yeah, playing the the baby or to, you know, the, 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 he's a two-year-old anyway. Yeah. Um, really good two-year-old. Really good. Like, like it. I don't know how much of one it is and how much of the other it is. I don't think you can really rely on a two-year-old to act or do what they're told. So there must be a lot of really good, like getting shots of this toddler doing the stuff they want the toddler to do or yeah. maybe even writing the film around it i mean the bit that the, the bit that fascinated me was that there was like two or three quite long sequences of just rick moranis interacting with this baby and whatever the baby did appeared to be what it was supposed to do but it was probably mm -hmm. just rick moranis successfully ad-libbing against what the baby happened to be doing and yeah. making it feel like it was part of the script of the film in the first place. Yeah. It's brilliantly done. Because, yeah, like, th this kid has to do things. Yeah. It has to, like, they, ha like, they, it's hard to, I I'm saying they because it's two of them playing one character. It's, it's hard to yeah. get the, get what I'm saying correct here. But they do a great job actually acting. 
Yeah. Like, this isn't just a role where it's like, oh, yeah, it's the baby just does whatever. It's like, no, the baby has a script. Like, the baby has things that it's supposed that, that, that he's supposed to do. Yeah. That he's supposed to say this here. He's supposed to react like this. Yeah. He's sad at this bit. He's unhappy at that line. He goes from being. You know, like yeah. like the scene near the you know near the end where they're trying to soothe him to sleep, yeah, um, with the big rabbit or whatever, and he has to act. You're falling asleep. You're falling yeah. asleep. Falling asleep. And then when they use the, the bad word that you don't like, nap time. Yeah. Then you get angry and you go like, no nap, and then you storm off. Yeah. That's like acting. It is. Uh, I mean. Oh. I, how do you make it? I don't. I don't understand how you would make a two-year-old do that. I think what you do. I think what you do is that these are all things that a two-year-old will do if left alone for long enough. So, like, I think you just film it all day, and like when the kid throws a little tantrum, you use that, and when the kid looks sleepy, you use that. But it's done so well that it does. Yeah. You can't help but think that what you have is a toddler that was doing what it was told at all the right moments. Like, how did they get it? Thinking about the stuff that isn't just something a baby would we're, just we're using, naturally We're using do. the word it a lot. <laughs> how did you get this? Well, because I, I, genuinely, I don't know if this is boy toddlers, girl toddlers. I don't know what we've got here. But... It's two brothers. Two brothers. The, bo- the, the boy in the film is called Adam, right? No, that's the older one. No, no that's, that's the younger yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the kid is called Adam. What's the older one called? Nick. Yes. So, Adam, at one point, the gag is that he's ripped his own bedroom door off and kind of comes downstairs with it. And he does. You know, the the kid is carrying this door around and at at, at the appropriate moment, like, drops it the way that he's supposed to. And, um, And by the way, so when that was happening, seamless integration of... A toddler who has been made to look the size of like the roof of the ha- the the ceiling of the of the house, yeah. With in shot, the rest of the family running around. As I understand it, they I mean they clearly built a small and a big version of the same set. I don't know yeah. how they put them together because there's bits where they're on screen together running around a a, a post or a, or yeah. a bit of wall or whatever. It's brilliantly done. It's really really well done. Like some of the shots. Some of the shots are obvious front or back projection. Like, some, yeah, and some of them are obviously like a big sort of Hagrid-shaped man in in a, an oversized clothes and with a big head on. But yeah. but mostly... other side, it's like <laughs> right, yeah, no, it's completely seamless. Yeah, yeah. like you say, like yeah. I mean, with regard to the child performance, like yeah. you know, reading up on it, it sounds like like I said, there were two kids, and one of them was quite boisterous mm. and you know willing to kind of like you know get into it and like re- be react and stuff like that whereas the other one was more quiet and would more just do what they were told to do right so i think using a combination of the two children's temperaments helped them get what they needed right so it's like if you know if they needed the child to sort of like okay we need the kid to sort of like act up and react now like we need like a bit of give and take then they go with the more outgoing child yeah and if there's like okay we need the child to read this line Hmm. then that you go to the other one for that but it's like again like once again i came away from this film feeling like this is a real film as well yeah (laughs) you know it's yeah it's another film where they've 
put work into the... You know, they've taken the art of filmmaking seriously. And it's... Yes. Again, it's another film where it's like it's a it's the, they're going to the box of magic tricks and think and but using a completely different set of tools to be like, what can we make happen this time? What you know, what new, what different illusion can we can we throw at the audience to kind of like create this sense of of scale and size changing? And it's yeah, yeah like, and it's most effective when the baby is um, like seven feet. Yeah. Because when it when it gets like God, you know, like Godzilla sized, then it's a bit more obviously like, oh, okay, now we've just got a shot of the baby, and then we've got like a shot of him in a model town. Whereas when he's like seven feet tall, that's where you get all those frankly quite breathtaking scenes of just him interacting with them, seemingly in the same space, except he's seven feet tall. It's like, yeah. how did you do that in nineteen ninety whatever? Yeah, don't 90, know. Uh, two, 92. Yeah. Yeah, 92. Pre-Jurassic Park. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how they did it. I really don't know how they did it. It's good. <laughs> and yeah. that's, that is why, like, this is why I said before, this is why we went to see these films. They were like, how are they going to do this? Because we knew that the way that films were at that time it was all practical effects, and it was interesting how they would make it look real. But we trusted that they would, and they did. And I don't trust that now. There's there's talk of their you know working on this reboot of Honey I Shrunk the Kids, and like mm. I see absolutely no point in watching a modern Honey I Shrunk the Kids because like yeah. I know that it'll look fine, and I know exactly what it'll look like, and it, there's no it's not. Uh, without i don't mean to you know disparage the effort that goes into modern special effects but we're not amazed by them anymore because we know what machine they're made in and roughly how and yeah whereas with the original honey i shrunk the kids it's like oh what will they what techniques will they use oh look that's that oh look that's that and it all looks real as well as knowing what it is they've done or trying to figure out what it is it's a yeah, I don't see the point. In the, in the same way that I've always, you know, rallied against the idea of doing a remake of Little Shop of Horrors. It's like, well, if you're not going to use puppetry, then it there's no, there, it will not be impressive. So there's no yeah. point. I know, like I, I, you know, I felt more impressed with that aspect of the visual effects watching both of these films than I did at any point watching either Ant Man film. Say, yeah, yes, exactly. There you go. I forgot. We've actually got a perfect example of that. And I watched those films. And they were fine. Oh no, I haven't watched the second one, but the first one, it was fine. It washed over me, and I was, and I just moved on. Whereas this, I've always known that in my life, I saw this spectacular creation where they managed to make it look like yeah. people were little. Um, and I know that the Ant Man films aren't necessarily trying to achieve the same yeah. thing. Like they're using the size changing thing to create a different effect, yeah. and they're not using the same techniques partly on purpose. Yeah. Because, you know, they're trying to create dynamic action scenes more than they're trying to create, wow, you will truly believe the scale of this small world sort of thing. But there's so much craft and effort that goes into a film like, even this, even this second film that everyone just thinks of as like, oh yeah, the, 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 the inferior sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like this, 
it's 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 not a well remembered no. movie. No, no, it's it's not. not a film that's like got much of a kind of a cultural footprint or like is seen as a, any particular landmark. But it's just like, yeah, but it's really impressive what they did. It is. Ah, good. Our uh, J- uh, Jeremy is um, <laughs> he's with the chat. Jeremy, we <laughs> haven't discussed Honey I Shrunk the Audience yet, um, but, th- but we will. I, I, well, I'm about to really. Yeah, when we finish this, I'll, I'll bring it up then. Um, yeah, I mean, because, you know, it's a good thing to discuss after this, because it's like it's the uh, next step. Yeah, It's the next thing, and it's by the people who made this film. Yeah, um, but before, before we move on from this film, I, I, I have to acknowledge that I am one of the tiresome people um, who has contributed to the uh, quite widespread... Mandela effect thing about this film which is that oh. there are a lot of people on the internet who swear blind that in the UK, and I'm one of those people, even though it's more or less been proven satisfyingly incorrect who swear blind that in the UK this was released as Honey I Blew Up the Baby. I definitely remember it being called that. I remember thinking that that was weird and that maybe they should have called it Honey I Blew Up the Kid um, it's it's one of these things and I'm not alone there's I, I just googled it there's loads of reddit threads about this and in the replies to that people explain that yeah it was called honey I blew up in the baby in the UK that's why you're having that memory but it wasn't and and it and it wasn't the only explanation I've been able to come up with is that like because it is what he says in the film he does say yeah. I blew up the baby in the film so like I must have reacted to that by going, oh, he he didn't say the exact name of the film. And that memory just short-circuited and got mixed up. But it's happened to so many people that it is like a piece of online trivia about this film is that you'll find here and there is that it was released in the UK as Honey, I Blew Up the Baby. And I remember that being the case and believe that it was the case, but have also been convinced that it wasn't. It wasn't. So I you say. Yeah, yeah. Like, I definitely saw this in a British cinema yeah. in 1992, and yeah. it was called Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. I yeah. remember making a very clear mental note of that being the title, because I didn't understand the use of the phrase blew up. No, I, yeah, film. exactly. That that also, I wonder if that's where my memory's getting crossed, because blew up is not the... That's just not an appropriate thing to use to mean enlarge. Like, I don't know what else you should say. I can't think of a better title. Honey, I, I grew enlarged. the kids. Doesn't really work. Yeah, I enlarged the kids. It doesn't, it's not just, it's just not catchy. Yeah. But blew up the kids. <laughs> That's not what you should say. Um, <laughs> but if you say blew up the baby, at least you've got some alliteration there, which kind of justifies the B in blew up. So maybe that was it. Maybe I thought, maybe it was that I thought, maybe they should have called it Honey, I Blew Up the Baby. But apparently, enough people thought that, whatever it was, that it's a mainstream mis- misapprehension. Yeah. No, I like. I, I. Sorry, I always knew what this film was called. Yeah, you, you should have done. That's that's <laughs> perfectly normal behavior. <laughs> but yeah, um, to me, I'm like, I find. There's just a few people associated with this film, yeah. That I find it interesting that they're in it or in and around it. Like, so like the guy who directed this, um, who also directed Honey, I Shrunk the Audience or whatever. Yes, is Randall Kleiser who directed Grease, oh. which, um, yeah, 
no, that just surprised me because it's like Joe Johnston was such an obvious fit for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids based on like what we know about the rest of his filmography. He does special effects-led children's fantasy movies of various kinds. I wonder what made them turn to the guy who made Grease uh, to make this one. Yeah, I don't um, know. But yeah. <clears throat> Can't and answer that. Also, the other thing to notice is the babysitter character yes. in this film, played by a, a young Kerry Russell. Yes. Who is since gone on to a lot of other things. She's a big J.J. Abrams collaborator. She was the star yes. of his TV show Felicity. Yes, uh, that one I, that's the one I know. I don't know anything else that she's been in. She's been in, like, she turns up in a lot of stuff, basically. Right. She was in uh, one of the one of the recent Planet of the Apes films. Right. Uh, she was in she was in Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker, <laughs> but we will not hold that against her. Um, it's just, but she was like, um, she was a Mickey Mouse Club kid. Oh, basically. Uh, yeah. So she she comes from that. Oh, that's something I wanted to say, which I said to you privately, but haven't done on this, which is that. The, the the first film has this feel to it that made me think that I wouldn't be at all surprised if I found out that Flubber style, that Nutty Professor style, it was a remake of a sort of, you know, 60s black and white mm. maybe live action Disney film or even 50s or something like that. Parent trap, that sort of thing. But... um the only reason that I don't think that's the case is that I would have heard of it by now if it was. Yeah, it really yeah. has that feel to it of like here's yeah, it does. here's a half cartoon but half real live action film with a with a mad professor character, lovable mad nerdy professor character, and, and his wacky adventure invention and the the chaos that ensues when someone turns it on wrong type film. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, I know. It feels quite a throwback. Yeah. And it, I'm sure it would have felt like a throwback in the 90s as well. Yeah, presumably, yeah. To our parents, yeah. Yeah, but it's just, it's nice. It's mm. like, again, as with the first film, this is a nice film. You know, it's, you know, like, I think, you know, one of the reasons I didn't get on with it as much when I was younger is like, it lacks that sense of like special effects adventure in a weird land kind of thing. Yeah. It's more it more takes place in just normal life and you're not you're not like you're not <clears throat> following the kids <clears throat> to the same degree that you in in the second one as you did in the first one. The the first one especially if you're watching it as a kid, yeah. it's an adventure that you're going on with the children. Yeah. Whereas this in this film, the adults are the main characters. That's the thing. And in fact, it goes further than that because, like, even the kids in this are, like, caregivers for a younger kid. Like, they're all essentially adults chasing after a child they're supposed to be looking after. You, yeah. you never really see anything from the toddler's perspective. Um, no. Well, the, the child is too young. Because so it's too young, the, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was less immediate to me when i was a kid but like as honestly adult, it, it is a bit like a bigfoot and the hendersons where they have this big yeah. thing they have to deal with take care of stop from ruining everything it's that sort of film yeah yeah uh, the um folks in the chat are suggesting honey i embiggened the kid <laughs> i i 
I don't think we're getting better than that. Like, no. It, it, I, I like it more than the actual title. I mean, so yeah. I think we can go with that. Yeah. But, yeah, the... You know, like, maybe it's just one of those things, though, that because we are adults now, maybe it, it's easier to find an end to this story that does follow the adults as the main characters. Yeah. One of the things that I actually appreciated the most about this is I really enjoyed that it gave uh, Marcia Strassman as the wife character who has a name, Diane, yeah. <laughs> um, a bigger role. I, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed her expanded role. That was the one space. thing that was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Ah, yes. That was the one thing yeah. that was wrong in the first one was that she was good enough to be a, a, a fully fledged main cast member in the first one, and she kind of wasn't. Um, yeah, or at least she did, or she kind of was, but she didn't really get the chance to do much. Whereas in this one, they were no. like, "Yeah, no, she's good. Let's put her in it." So, she's yeah. good, and she's like every bit as much the main mm. kind of like adult character as as Rick Moranis. Yeah, is. yeah, and. You know, yeah, I'd like that at the end she gets to go giant. And and look, you know, I know it's a cliche, like a very old cliche at this stage, but like I think you can you can always get a good amount of mileage out of the and it's always it, it, it has to be a woman doing it, but the woman punches the smarmy bad guy in the face yeah. scene. Yeah. Like that's often yeah, it was a reliable crutch. It is, yeah. And I thought this one was a really good one. It was a good one, yeah. It wasn't... There was no surprise to it. You could see what was coming from a mile yeah. away, but that just helped to build up the, like, the the pleasant suspense that she was about to do it. Yeah. yeah. I oh, thought that, it was... That was... The timing of it was good. It was a good punch. The, the technique yeah. was good. She really puts... Yeah. She put the... You know, it looks like the force is really being transmitted from the shoulder through into the fist into the guy's into face. the face I was, into the face i was I just thought it was a really nice satisfying punch and it got a laugh and that was it. that was the face that i i was i was going like wow do i remember this film more than i thought but no that was lex luther off the new adventures of superman being yes. more or less the same exact character in this um <laughs> and i i just i like that i appreciated that yeah Again, it, it's Being just another big one of nasty Mister Business again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that again, another angle that I re remember as a kid not being interested in. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I don't need all these, you know, bad corporate people yeah. angle. I don't. I don't. As a six-year-old, I do not connect with this. Whereas, I mean, look, now it's a bit passe, but yeah, you know, whatever. It's a nice. It's a nice value-added yeah. element, and. And yeah, she gets to really punch him in the face. Yeah. And it's a nice moment. Everyone's good in it, again. Yeah. Um, as you say, the um, the kid who plays Nick yeah. transitions, I think, quite nicely from being the, you know, the, 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 the precocious, brainy kid in the first movie to now he's kind of the older brother and he's sort of like, you know, having his own identity crisis mm -hmm. between being the precocious nerdy guy and wanting to kind of get into girls and baseball and stuff. But yep. again, he's good. Yeah. He's good. Uh, and it's just, it's just nice. It's just, again, another nice film. It is. That's a good um, film. Yeah. Now, now, you'll have to take the floor on the next one because I don't, I didn't see it. Okay. I'll finish my pastel then. Yeah, please do. 
If anything, it was very unprofessional of you to start eating of it, start eating it when you knew I was going to throw it over to you. Well, I didn't know that. I can never predict when one or other of us is going to shut up about any particular topic. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I could have been talking for another 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, I'm not, so deal with it. I think I put my pastel in. I think the record will show that I put my pastel in when you said something that had the bearing of her, and that's another thing. <laughs> um, well, we can rewind the tape afterwards. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so uh, a couple of years after that, 1994, they do a ride, well, not a thing at Disney World called Honey, We Shrunk the Audience. And um, the way that this works is that you are, it's a 3D cinema uh, type film, yeah. but, but or, or what they called 4D cinema because they do stuff to the chairs. So you all sit down and um, you put your big goggles on. There's a spiel about how you're going to be shown a presentation by a company that does science. And they've got Wayne Zelinsky. Oh, I know. It's the um, Inventor of the Year Award. And they've got Wayne Zelinsky yeah. coming in. And it's presented by Eric Idle, who comes on uh, stage as a sort of a, I don't know, some sort of sciencey man. And actually, he yeah. remained a character at Epcot. This is at Epcot. And he remained an Epcot character. He came back and did two other things for Epcot as the same character. Um, oh, right. That that obscure ride called like Journey into Illusion or something, where there's a there's a animatronic purple dragon thing. Um, he yeah. wasn't in the original version of that, but when they refitted it to make it all video and rubbish, he was in that, reprising his character from Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. Well, anyway... Um, Dr. Nigel Channing. Right, well, he comes on stage and he's like, oh, where's Wayne? And Wayne comes out in a little tiny... He's shrunk himself down and he's riding a little egomatic and he flies out over the audience and goes, "Way! I've made myself little and I've got a little flying platform. And then he goes back again, crashes into some stuff and, you know, there's a bit of hijinks but the way that they do it it looks really good basically it's a 3d film but it's a fixed perspective camera in this 3d film so the illusion is that you are in fact looking into this presentational room where they have eric idol coming up on stage the correct size that eric idol would be if he was really there there's the 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 laser is set up behind him and it's all in 3d so it looks quite real and um then Honey, I Shrunk the Kids stuff starts happening. And all the family are there. The the correct actors are playing it, including the two toddlers playing the one toddler. Yep. They're there. All of that. And um, what happens is that basically first they do some setup. So Wayne isn't ready yet. So uh, his son, Nick, comes on and he's like, oh yeah, by the way, this is my pet snake. Do you like that? Be a shame if someone was small around this, but luckily we're all normal size. And then, <laughs> you know... Um, the the little one Adam's got a mouse and he's like this is my mouse I'm just going to put it in this replicator that we've set up um, yeah. that'll be fine there I'm sure and then the dog's there and it's all like that and then Wayne goes like right here's my laser and I'm going to use it to do this harmless thing whoa oh no oh, I'm spinning round and the laser's going everywhere and it's all going wrong and then you the audience get shrunk and they do a load of stuff so like the bit where the mice get replicated, they... This is before you shrink, actually. They just run out into the audience. There's a power cut of some sort, so it all goes dark. And then mm. these little rubbery hose things flip back and forth and hit your feet. So you're like, ah, mice. Um, ah, right, I see. And actually, that one apparently bothered people to the extent that people would, like... Who'd seen the ride before, they would, like, put their coats and bags down there so they never had to feel that. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> And then there'll be business. So, like, then you're shrunk down. Now the screen starts to be more dynamic and is because you're being picked up in a box by people and things like that. Um, yeah. They, um, 
because they've shrunk down the whole auditorium, including, you know, the wall and ceiling. So they could just pick it up and move it around. And there's a giant Eric Idle leaning in, looking at you, and the, the toddler leans in. And at one point, the dog comes up and sneezes on you, and they spray you with water and things like that. And um, there's a bit of that. And then you get grown again, and it's fine. So it really is just a, a brief 15-minute-long silly bit of film that they've made. But with well, all of these well, you know our patron jeremy has uh, raised that complaint with it he says he doesn't really think it delivers on the premise in that it's a 15 minute film in which only about three minutes are you shrunk that is true yes that is true um but at least for the rest of the minutes there are still effects going on like the mice yeah. like the 3d the the seats shake whenever you get picked up or anything happens to you um mm. so but yes you're right there's only there's a precious few minutes uh of you having been shrunk but then they keep coming up with ways to still do the effect so like there's one bit where you haven't been shrunk yet and they're like oh yeah by the way also another thing that wayne has invented or someone has invented is this holographic pet and like they make there's a i don't know if there's a real cat or if it, the the cat is holographic to begin with i get the sense there's a real cat but holographically its head stretches out over the audience and goes meow and then gets bigger and goes meow and then turns into a lion and starts swiping at the audience in 3d <laughs> And stuff like that. And as I say, Wayne himself, shrunk down, comes out and flies over you. So they're always doing stuff. They're always doing 3D effects. Yeah. Um, but it's not necessarily very shrinky. No, frankly, I'm more impressed, I, I think, or would be more impressed if I actually got to go on it, by the fixed perspective, look at this room we, we're now making it look like you're in stuff. I quite like that as a concept. Um, you know, having... N not real actors walking around on stage but it looking convincingly like they are i quite i quite like that idea yeah i like that type of experience based yeah. ride and yeah it's a good fit for it you know it's uh it's not it doesn't still exist anywhere does no it? they no they've they've shut it down in i think it was like 1999 or 2001 or somewhere around then I guess it's not that current anymore, is it? It's it, well. This is the thing. Not only is it not current, but it it has you know Eric Idle and Rick Moranis in it, twenty years younger than they are. Well, I suppose Rick Moranis, nobody really knows what he looks like, but everyone knows what <laughs> Eric Idle looks like, and he it, it is weird that he's like, oh, he's, oh, I thought he was a bit older than that. Um, yeah. Although, uh, what features the, the 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 late Marcia Strassman as well? Oh God, yeah, of course. Stop reminding yeah. me of that. It's sad. <laughs> what happened to her? No, don't tell me. It's sad. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, it's going to just be a normal way of dying. It's not like it's not going to be a shrinking accident. <laughs> I wasn't suggesting it was. No, I don't think it is a normal way of dying because she wasn't very old, you know. But um, they, um, the other thing is that the kids, the actual, the actors who played the kids are in it. Oh, well, the daughter isn't because she'd stopped acting. But now the son has stopped acting and that's why he wasn't in the next thing that we're going to talk about. Yes, of course. I almost forgot that there was another thing to talk There's about. There's another thing to talk about. We, we, we have, we've spared ourselves the experience of having to watch the TV series. Apparently there was a live-action TV series of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Goodness knows what. They, presumably it was Honey, I Did Some Other Mad Thing every episode. Not the, I, I, You know, shrunk. he can't be shrinking things. He can't be shrinking his children no. every episode. No. Because um, at that point, at that point, he's <laughs> doing it on purpose. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, no, there was a direct to um, 
video, I guess, at that time. Yeah. What year was it that it came out? Um, ninety-seven. Okay, so that will yeah, have director, probably director that will have been VHS and early DVD, I think. Um, yeah, it's honey. We shrunk ourselves, and the idea here was that that having had some success with their straight to DVD animated sequels business model. Well, it would have been video at this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they did decide to do it for live action as well, and this was the first attempt at doing that, at doing a live action straight to video sequel. Um, because they had planned to do this as a theatrical release. Yes. With a, I, I, I can't give you the exact numbers, but when it was going to be in the cinema, it was going to be like 40-something million dollar budget. They yeah. then decided to release it straight to video on, I think I want to say, 7 million. or That's, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. A, an incredibly significant budget change, not enough for the project to succeed. And so now what we have in this is 100% just blue or green screen, like just people filmed against pictures of normal sized rooms yes and it's... it looks awful <laughs> there is nothing convincing yeah. about the effect in this film and that's before we get to the 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 acting the story everything else in it it's this isn't good this isn't a good film <laughs> let's be clear this one sucks and, but and also has a a sort of at exactly this moment in time uncomfortable casting choice which one do you mean? So in this version, the um, the main because because this by the way, this is an almost complete change of cast. We have Rick Moranis yeah. staying; he's the only person who stays, and he's kind of only like Diane, his wife, is also there, but she's played by someone else, and the toddler is now just a kid, so he's played by someone else. I actually don't know why, because enough years had passed that it could have been played by the same kid, but maybe they just weren't good at acting anymore. Um, yeah. But the the sort of the main character in it, uh, or, sorry, the main child character in it, arguably, is the older girl played by Alison Mack, who's currently yeah. awaiting sentencing for and for legal reasons. All of the following statements are and were merely alleged, alleged that is by the accusers in the case, but on specific counts, the ones about racketeering, alleged also by Mack herself, who pled guilty to those specific charges, racketeering and possibly selling people into sexual slavery. Um, yeah, which is as a part of a so cult. weird. Yeah, mm, really weird. Uh, yeah. So I thought it would. I thought it behooved me to kind of find out exactly what had gone on there, and find, like to what extent is this person uh, culpable or a victim? And I'm not prepared to make any final statements on that because I've seen, uh, I, I've seen accounts that would go either way. Um, yeah same yeah what, what i what i can say with some confidence is that she used to be really nice <laughs> yeah she was in smallville right she was in smallville um, this so the story goes the way i've read it is that she was a child actor obviously because she was in this she was really good and and she's good in this and then uh, and then she gets in smallville and she's acting alongside Oh, Christine, don't know a second name. Kristen Crook or whatever. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I don't know if I've got the pronunciation right. But yes. And in that... And this is this is the version of the story that, that paints her in a good light. In that series, Kristen, even though they got along really well in real life, Kristen was like the hot one on the series. And as a result, the two of them got compared a lot uh, 
online uh, in the discourse. And this made her incredibly depressed um, because she always got the short end of the straw there. And um, so she joined a cult. Uh, that that seems to have been part of the reason. Although it was Kristen who who was already in the, the cult and brought her into it. Um, right. She left first. She left before Alison did, uh, and Alison became something of a a major recruiter because it's one of these cults that goes like we've got celebrities. Look, here's a celebrity. You're you're now going to help us get more people in. And yeah, some of the people. I haven't seen any accounts of her doing terrible things to the recruits, but I have seen accounts of people being done terrible things to as a result as a direct result of her bringing them into the cult so that's currently and with the benefit of hindsight now that the trial has taken place that section feels a bit cheerful and positive compared to the statements made by one of her accusers actor jessica joan who in a court appearance called her a predator and one of the most evil monsters she's ever met among other things that make her sound rather frightening but she was also definitely the victim of the man in charge of the cult and the whole thing's a bit complicated and not what we're here to address so bit awkward but remember we streamed this in september 2020 and let's let that account for any further outdated information and move on for the record she was found guilty of racketeering and racketeering conspiracy but not it's legally worth pointing out sex trafficking which charge and a couple of charges like it were dismissed as part of a plea deal she was sentenced to three years a fine and a thousand hours of community service we don't even have you know a a, a guilty or innocent yet for that i don't think she's a she's pled guilty and is awaiting sentencing which presumably would have happened by now were it not for coronavirus um yeah so that's ongoing and now let's talk about honey we <laughs> shrunk ourselves well i mean <laughs> I, if i'd have known i might not have suggested it but... <laughs> uh, it's got a young mila kunis in it as well that's that's a point of interest it does it does I for, mean, for people fair, who yeah. know who that is i've heard the yeah. name but i don't know who it is she's in loads of stuff uh, sure yeah it's uh but yeah like you know, you know, yeah. Um, Alison Mack is not the only um, noteworthy person in involved in this film. Like, it's quite an all, like all of the people in this cast, mm. like, are people who've done other things. And, yeah, like, you know, you know, who work regularly still. Yeah, like the guy, like you know, the ones who jumped out. The one who jumped out at me is like the guy Stuart Pankin, who played Wayne's brother. Yes. Um is the voice was what well, sorry was the voice of earl yeah in, uh, the main dinosaur in dinosaurs yeah, yeah. i um, i was watching the first bit of the film going like why do i know this guy's voice maybe yeah. maybe a load of men in america just sound like that <laughs> yeah. it was like yeah no that's that's the dinosaur out of dinosaurs i mean i think Pete, a lot of people do sound like that but <laughs> like yeah no he is the one from dinosaurs but um Honestly, like the uh, the thing that really caught my attention is like the, the behind the camera people. It's like oh. so this was the like directorially, this was like the directorial debut of Dean Cundy, who is like a prolific cinematographer. Oh. Like on really just loads of films. Right. Like Jurassic Park, uh Who Framed <laughs> Roger Rabbit. Right, yeah. Proper all, films. All, all, proper films, all the Back to the Future films, Hawk. Uh, Apollo 13 like you know this is like a serious guy in terms of like in the world of cinematography okay but I I'm not sure if he's directed anything other than this there's not a tremendous amount of evidence of that on display in this film no no 
I mean, look, maybe he could have done something with it with it if he hadn't had fifty p to make the film. But, but I feel as if a cinematographer can point a camera more interestingly than this film did. Maybe, yeah. I mean, but like, it's not just him. Like the the screenplay is credited to three people, <laughs> like Carey Kirkpatrick. Oh, so, I've heard that name before. Yeah, he again, like such a big name in the world of animation. Like what? He, he but did like, but it's rubbish. I know, you know, he's worked on like, you know, Chicken Run, like Over the Head, Charlotte's Web, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He, you know, like he helped write Rescuers Down Under, James of the Giant Peach. He did like the English screenplays for like the Ghibli films, like Ari Secret World of Arietti and From Up on Poppy Hill. Like he did that Bigfoot movie with Channing Tatum, Smallfoot, like not two years ago. Like this is a guy who works really, really regularly in animation and he's fine. Um, okay, right. Like the second person on the <clears throat> screenplay is um, Nell Scoville, the lady who created this series. Jahan's mic went wrong and broke there. Uh, he said, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And then the third one is Joel Hodgson from Mystery Science Theatre 3000. Pause there, Jahan. You have just switched to a much louder microphone. I think, <laughs> I think the cable has come out. How's about that? That's better, thank you. There we go. There we go. So, um, what was the last thing I said? No, 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 we we heard everything. We heard it overwhelmingly. (laughs) Well, maybe you can fix that in the edit. Yes, unlikely. You won't. Maybe you could. I'm frankly not going to, but yeah, probably could. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so yeah, like I say. Yeah. So you've got a really prolific children's and animated movie uh, guy co-writing with the creator of Sabrina the Teenage Witch and the creator of Mystery Science Theatre 3000. Yes. You would have thought that the mix of those three people who have actual credits on loads of really famous, really good, you know, well-established stuff. Yeah, and who already did have by this time. This isn't them early on in their career when they haven't learned their trade yet. This is them at the height of their game. (laughs) Yeah. So what the hell was this? It was an absolute load of trash, this. It's it's genuinely difficult to get through. Not because it's... Well, no, let me... I've said the same thing about much worse films. There's nothing that I can think of right now that's, like, offensive about this film or that makes me angry about it. It's just really boring. Very Nef- substandard Disney Channel rubbish. Yeah, never effective. It's no yeah. good. Yeah. It's just uh... no good. Everyone's kind of a dick in it. Yeah. You know? It, everyone up to and including Wayne and Diane. Yeah. Were not previously dicks, no. but are now. No, Abby's big objection. She really missed the mum. She was really happy that she came back in the second one and really annoyed that she didn't go back in this one. And, like, one of the, the main sort of changes that they seem to make to the character as well, whether this was to accommodate a different actor or not, I don't know. Probably not, because they did it to Wayne. But... Suddenly, like, their marriage was, what like, one of those sort of sitcom marriages where it was like, they're always against each other and, and everything that the man does that he enjoys, he has to hide it because she wouldn't approve of him having a nice time and kind of vice versa. And, like, that yeah. sort of... And cra- then he's an asshole about it. Yeah, that crappy kind of old yeah. sitcom way of married couples interacting that has always been unpleasant. The sort of, you know, the I suppose the 
we've we've got it's not what they are about in the first film or the second film no, like not, not at all i don't know why they've i especially why you switched rick moranis's character to be like that yeah all of a sudden like when he was very pointedly not that yeah previously and then yeah. he has this brother who like the, the, the made up out of ju- nowhere just out of nowhere comes in this brother who like maybe i am thinking of splash here but I was going like, oh, they couldn't get John Candy. Had he died by this point? It, it felt like a John Candy-aimed role, you know? At I least, think John Candy had died. I think he had, point. yeah, yeah. But, like, it was that sort of character anyway. But also... <laughs> I can't really... I, I, don't, I don't really have any fault for the guy who played him. But it just wasn't... It didn't... But what we have here is a character that Matt Frewer might have punched up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but as it is, just comes across as sort of just a pain in the ass. Yeah, and like just a generic part yeah. as well. It's like as in he's just an off-the-shelf character yeah. you dumped in. Yeah, that like there's nothing to distinguish this guy. There's yeah. nothing that makes me believe that he's Wayne Zelinsky's no. brother. Like, and you know, you've got his. Com- comedically neurotic wife who's yeah. just just sort of there. Yeah, the joke like he... the joke with her is that she's always a worry wart and she's like, Oh, if, yeah. have have you done this and have you done have you put the bricks under the car because sometimes our brake might co might it, Because our brake line might snap randomly and then of course it does and Hey, everything she worries yeah. about actually then happens. That's the thing. The joke is that she worries too much, but one of the main the main thing that she worries about is that the life-saving medicine that her son <laughs> needs to have, he, he hasn't had. And it's like, yeah. yeah, that's a genuine risk to this kid's life. And then indeed, he just doesn't take it for some reason. Yeah. And then almost lapses into a coma. Yeah, and he doesn't go around going like, oh no, because there's also there's this little thing where it's like, the the medicine kind of gets lost a bit. It's it's just sort of pushed to somewhere else on the table, but it kind of gets lost. And like, he never goes, "Oh no, I've lost my medicine that I need to take." He's just yeah. like, "Ah, it's fine." Ugh. I don't. I don't think I even need it. Oh no, I've died. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's it's it, as a piece of conflict. It's very flimsy. Mm. Um, and it's all like that. Yeah. It's just it's all weak and it's all flimsy and you know. I feel like the emotional kind of catharsis moments in the first two films, yeah, okay, they're stock and they're corny. But I do feel like the stories earn them, you know? Yeah. Whereas in this film, it's like, nah, everything just sort of happens. Like, yeah, like you say, Wayne and Diana like comedy sitcom bickering now. Mm. And they're having this disagreement. And then just at an arbitrary point, like halfway through the film, they're like, no, you know, we're cool. Yeah. And then it's, that's it. And it's a specific moment. It's a bit where, like, they they turn to each other and the wife says, I love everything about you, Wayne Zielinski. And we went, no, no. you don't! You've, <laughs> been, <laughs> no, yeah. you've been properly bickering at each other for this whole film. And yeah. it has, by that time, they had, even though it was a retcon, they had successfully changed it so that his tinkering with stuff is something she really doesn't like and it kind of ruins her life. And, like, for this version of her to say, like, I love everything about you was completely incongruous. Yeah. Completely incongruous with the rest of the story. 
they just randomly say it after that yeah. honestly, genuinely disgusting bit where they're in the cockroach trap. Oh, yeah. That was, again, horrible. Yeah. What was going like, on When there? they go and hide in that cockroach trap and there's all these bloody giant dead cockroach corpses in there. Yeah. It's just disgusting. I tell you I really what. didn't like it. I'm going to say one thing positive about this film, which is that I found a lot, not all, but a lot of the insects in it fairly convincing. Uh, even though it's like... Oh, yeah. Even yeah, though it, it's sort of, you know, 1990-whatever-era CG, yeah. they, they were fine. So you had a cockroach, you had a, um, a spider, and they they were fine. The daddy long legs. Yeah. Yeah. Of yeah, the spider variety, not the crane fly variety. Yeah. <laughs> Like and it was very weak the attempt to repeat the um, yeah. ant thing with the daddy long legs. Yeah, they had so they were like ah ah, and then the the neurotic uh, wife, <laughs> the name I can't remember, was going like, "Well, how about we don't be ah? It's probably fine." And then they're sort of the the mum just immediately is fine with it and makes friends with it or something, and then and he's like patting it and stuff. Yeah, and it has. Yeah, yeah, they don't earn that. But they don't earn anything. Nothing no, is earned. it's rubbish. Yeah, it's rubbish. It is rubbish. Like, and... It is rubbish. <laughs> it's rubbish, this. Imagine, imagine if you'd actually like bought this video. would be very yeah. disappointed. Yeah. Like, even as a kid, if I watched this, I would have known. No, there's no, nothing is... of interest here. Yeah. This is just like... time being filled. If this had been, you know, I sometimes let sort of second-rate kids' films off the hook a bit by saying, like, well, I bet I'd have enjoyed this if I'd randomly watched it on TV on Boxing Day and videoed it and I'd probably watched it a couple more times. This film, I know for sure that if that had happened, I wouldn't have watched it a couple more times. I doubt I'd have got through it the first time. No, same, exactly. Like, the only things that stand out as interesting to me at this stage with it are just these random bits and pieces about who's in it. Yeah. And aspects of what it represents culturally like did you know like you know this was something i noticed in the film oh yeah and it's you know it is a thing enough that yeah there is actually something about it on the wikipedia page yeah product placement is insane yeah yeah that was how they got the money to be able to make this because seven million dollars basically pays for what rick moranis and a and a vhs tape (laughs) 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 like there's not much you can do with that when you're making a film yeah. but like yeah. genuinely probably camera hire and like stu like the crew hire that's yeah. probably your seven million sorted out there probably, yeah. so they had to do constant product placement like uh, the most egregious one that i remember is when there's um there's a there's a scene towards the end where they figure out how to get into because oh the plot in this one by the way is that the adults get shrunk down these two the 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 two husbands and the two wives who immediately pair off to make two separate teams um yeah. they um of of two husbands and two wives um they le- they are basically they said to the kids that they were going somewhere and don't have any parties and of course the kids have a party and some bad kids come to the party and it was in the original script when it was going to be a full full budget film it was yeah. going to be absolutely loads of kids but they they whittle it down to basically you know four good friends and then three bad ones or something like that yeah and they have a little small party sequence where there's a certain amount of throwing things around 
But um, so to get in touch with them, to actually contact the kids, they figure out that if Wayne goes into the stereo that they that the kids are using to play rock music then he can rewire it and i'm fairly sure you can't do this but this is the plan he can rewire it so that the speaker is now a microphone and a speaker so the other one the brother character can the the dinosaur one can shout into the speaker earl sinclair yeah and it will play his voice out to the room and then go hello we're here and we're shrunk and then the kids who know that their family do this all the time can just be like oh right okay let's sort that out um and as he climbs the big speaker to do this there's a big sony logo because it's a sony speaker and it fills the screen it's literally a full screen of the sony logo um, yeah, and that's just one example. You know, anytime there's anything, isn't there a a bottle of something that's always turned to face the camera, even though the camera angle keeps moving? I was thinking of the tricks cereal box, <laughs> like that might be they, it. They leave the you know obviously there's the big plot point about like oh no the the child's medicine have been left on the counter, uh, and no one will remember where it is there. And there's a a, a shot that ostensibly there to establish and remind you of that plot point where you know the, the the other characters they walk out of frame and the medicine bottle is there on the counter to show you oh it's been left but you can't pay it's impossible for your eyes and attention to be drawn to the medicine bottle in when there is this giant trick cereal box facing outwards that's just there yeah and that is like but it's that it's like the bloody Hot Wheels cars as yeah. well. Oh yeah, there's it's a bit like, where they get in a Hot Wheels car and they do the Buzz Lightyear thing. Yeah, it's it is. Oh, um, Aim of Destiny in the chat says. To be fair, it is totally possible to rewire a speaker into a mic. It really? won't be a very good mic, but it'll work. Oh, there we go. Fair enough. Now, now I know. Would it be Friend- able? Could you use it as a speaker at the same time? Like, it- could you use it? To amplify the voice, the of voice a that very... it is recording, yeah. Although I suppose you could you could headcanon that his voice was coming out of the other speaker, so yeah, that's yeah. fine actually. Yeah, fine. Okay, yeah. that's fine. I didn't mind it as much though the the um, product placement just because that is what would happen if you shrunk down in a kitchen. It would be logos everywhere. So I, it took me a while to notice. I think it was kind of the Sony moment that I that I realized yeah. what was going on. To me, it was just, it was weird because it's a Disney film. That's and, it, yeah. And normally, like, they're not really so much in the business just plugging other companies' stuff like no. that. Um, but, yeah, I you know, I found it very noticeable yeah. anyway. Um, the other thing I found very noticeable was, like, you know, you know when the bad kids, the bad teenage boys turn up yes. at the party and they bad. walk through the door. They're bad. And they walk through the door and, and and you're just you are just slapped full in the face by this wave of nineties boy band yeah. aesthetics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's the other thing. They're not just they're not like like tough looking bully kids. The girl fancies them as well. So yeah. they're boy band looking kids. And also, but, when and boy are they? <laughs> yeah, and you think they're going to be quite wholesome, but then, or at least be wholesome and lecherous. But that kind of in yeah. this world is wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, they they're bad, and they take they. Here's a way that they're bad. One of the boys who lives there is sitting in a chair, and one of the bad boys goes, "I'm going to sit in the chair. Get out of the chair!" <laughs> and he has to, so he can sit in the chair. Bad, <laughs> bad. 
the um <laughs> what did you make of the um uh the the PSA for the the PSA for uh, uh, like enthusiastic consent that just dropped halfway in the middle of the film. Honestly, quite liked it. That was uh by that point in the film, my standards have been lowered so far that I found that a pleasant surprise. So yeah, the um the cultist girl uh who <laughs> at this stage is just sweet and pleasant, um yeah. and is the daughter of the neurotic uh woman who's now shrunk so they're on the two mums are on the kitchen table unbeknownst to the girl and the boy that she mostly fancies out of the boys or maybe the only one she fancies um, i think it, i think it yeah um that he's like oh by the way uh i've got in the most unconvincing like genuinely like thing i've ever seen any film do he's like by the way uh i i've got something to tell you but we've got to be alone in the kitchen. She's like, all right, let's go to the kitchen. And and, and obviously what he's going to do is he's going to try and make a move on her. And he goes, like, oh, I think you're really cool. And and she's like, oh, I think you're really cool. And she does. She's, like, been, been eyeing him up. And then he goes in for a kiss. And she, like, kicks his ass about it. She, like, shoves him away. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on a minute, Romeo. I didn't say any such thing was on the cards. I did not give my consent for this. You didn't ask. You could have asked. Yeah. I might have said yes if you'd have asked, but now yeah. I'm actually kicking you out of the whole party now. And meanwhile, yeah. her mum's down there on the table going like, whoa, did not <laughs> expect this in this film. Nice one. <laughs> and uh, I got I to say, we felt similarly to her. It was like, oh, really cool. All right. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. I liked the sentiment, but yeah. there was something about the, the way that she switched on a dime yeah. to, I am the love struck. 15 year old girl to no now I will recite this speech that could definitely be from a 90s like public broadcasting advert about you know affirmative consent and I'm just gonna rattle through that I'm gonna be like it's not gonna feel like anything I you know my character would ever say or any 50 year old this will not be the wording a 15 year old would ever use no I'm gonna rattle through that and I'm going to tell teach you a, lis- a lesson, Mr. Boyband. Yeah. And I suppose part of the I surprise was... for me was that I don't remember... Like, this might be the first instance of that. Like, I don't remember anything doing this where it's oh. like the teenager doesn't want to be suddenly kissed. It might yeah. be the earliest example of that on film. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, it reads like a PSA, but I don't think those yeah. PSAs existed then Maybe if they exist didn't. now. Maybe this was a truly groundbreaking. Yeah, it might have been. <laughs> um, but there was just something about the sheer suddenness yeah. of that switch that I just really laughed at it. It was great. Yeah, <laughs> like I didn't dislike it, but I thought it was really funny. That was it. It, it was a it, basically it was a positive. It, it was a welcome bit of stupid bad filmmaking, whereas the rest of them had been negative bits of stupid bad filmmaking that I didn't like. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> Um. So yeah, unless you have anything else to say on that film, no. I guess that's <laughs> the end of our journey through the Honey I Shrunk the Kids I mean, series. Frankly, for it's, now it really doesn't. It's no surprise that after this film, Rick Moranis threw his hands up and said, "Never again." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, because to date this is his last live action performance. Yeah. Um. Which is not great. No. Uh, 
But well, yeah. he's going to be playing Wayne Straczynski in the reboot of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Um, yes, which apparently is currently, well, would be currently ongoing if not for things in the world. Yeah. But <clears throat> but that's how current this is that we're talking about. Like, it's literally in the offing as we speak Yeah, that there will be... You know, well, I think what we commonly now refer to as a legacy sequel yeah. uh, in the in the Force Awakens mold right, right. of you know, like the old generation will come back, and you know, the, the the young generation will become the main characters and will basically just do the same exact storyline again. I no far doubt. prefer that formula to the um, to the Ghostbusters style one, where you do get the original cast back, but as other people, and it's a big yeah. gag that they're in it. Like, I'm, I'm much if you're going to get them in, I prefer it to acknowledge that they're the same people yeah i but like i i also though i think the the the, the rose is the, the what's it the bloomers come off the rose on that force awakens concept though of hey we've got the old cast to come and pass the new the torch to the new cast yeah so that the new cast can just do the exact same story again yeah like that honestly the Force Awakens kind of only got away with it by the skin of its teeth, yeah. and no, none of the things that have tried to do that since then have really got away with it at all. No. And I don't know. It, it it seems like I don't know. We'll see what happens. Like you know, yeah. the main name attached to it, other than Rick Moranis, is Josh Gad, who is apparently going to play a grown-up version of Nick. Oh, really? um, yeah, huh. which. I can see. I can see that. Um, I'd prefer just... an actual grown-up Nick, to be honest. But... but he isn't acting anymore. No, he isn't. But that doesn't... Like, they should just give him more money. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. why isn't he Rick acting Brown... anymore? He was good at it. <laughs> like, well, I get... Rick Moranis isn't acting anymore either, so... Yeah, yeah, I suppose so, yeah. Yeah. But So, yeah, so there you go. So get him back. Josh Gad. I've had <laughs> enough of him. Since Beauty and the Beast, episode pending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man I'm, yeah you guys, <laughs> um it's not his but, fault he's he's perfectly good but like i just that film has made it so i don't i don't really want to see any of the people involved again <laughs> regardless of who they are like even the ones who are just like people who you're definitely going to see again in loads of other stuff yeah like ian like, mckellen like ian mckellen <laughs> next time i see him i'm going to be slightly annoyed Wait, you've not seen him in anything since you watched Beauty and the Beast? I might not have done, actually. Huh. Yeah, I might not have done. Yeah. Oh, dear. Well, he better do something to rinse that taste out, I guess. Better had, yeah. In hindsight, I realise I had seen Ian McKellen in something since then. Uh, did it rinse the taste out of my mouth? No, it was cats. I don't know. Like, look, like you say... That baggage aside, there's nothing wrong with Josh Gad. He's fine. No, there's nothing wrong with Josh Gad. I, I don't agree um, with. I don't agree with picking. I get there's so. I mean, we're back to the same problem as with uh, Mrs. Solinsky. It's like when you have had a character played by the same person for two films, and then for the third film, then you recast them. That's that's weird to me. That's I don't I don't much like that. But I can. Well, whatever. It's gonna happen. So fine. Yeah, it's like, I mean, the thing about it is it's it's a bit different, I think, when it's like a, a years and years and years later yeah. reboot of something. Yeah. Where, you know, especially 
given that the guy is retired from acting, he probably, you yeah. know, he probably hasn't acted no. for decades at this point. Unlike, but it does um, mean that. So if Josh Gad is cast at all, then that means that Nick is a key character, maybe the main dad character in the film. Yeah, that's my understanding. Yeah, because I thought because when because like when we were saying Rick Moranis is going to be in it as Wayne, I thought that would be a, a cursory nod to the fact that like oh, and here's the man. Like, oh yes, I invented this, you know, being old and being like, oh, a long time ago. But actually, if if Nick's in it as well, then that that means it really is just like, here's the next thing that happened in this family, sort of thing. Yeah, like you know, the <clears throat> I, you know, the the description here seems to be that yeah, Nick has become a scientist slash inventor now as well. Yeah. So he'll probably sure. be the wacky professor this time. And here's another detail that chain that does I think affect my perception of it josh gad also has a story credit on it oh so that to me suggests more that like this was kind of his idea to some degree that yeah. like oh yeah we should do this and i want to play the role hmm. i have less problem with that right. than oh yeah let's hire josh gad for this reboot um uh from uh, from all accounts as well it sounds like joe johnston will be coming back to direct this oh right which is interesting um so yeah we'll see we'll see like we'll see what form it takes the fit the current title is just trunk um right and and that uh i don't know if you heard it the way i heard it it sounded due to a little sound glitch as if he said trunk but he said shrunk trunk. <laughs> yes yeah right the, the sequel to honey i shrunk the kids trunk <laughs> <laughs> well that more or less is as much time as I've got to do a stream today. So luckily, yes. we seem to have come to a satisfying conclusion to it. That worked out nicely, didn't it? It does. Maybe we will. Oh dear! Someone's just joined the stream. Oh, sorry <laughs> about that. Uh, but uh, hello to somebody whose name is behind a shine of light. Paul Evo. Hello, Paul Evo. Uh, you'll you'll have to catch this on the vod that is about to go live because we are going to finish this stream now. So. There you go. Thanks for joining me, Jahan. Yes, thank you for having me. And yes. Hopefully you'll hear from us again soon. Yep. There are episodes in the works that have already been recorded mm -hmm. uh, that you'll have to look forward to, hopefully, in the foreseeable future. Yes. Including the aforementioned Beauty and the Beast, the Beauty episode, and the Beast which episode, which is... I guarantee you, you're going to enjoy. You're definitely going to enjoy it. The only reason there's been a big delay on this one is because there's a there's an extra feature in it that I'm having to be very... I'm going to fiddle with a lot because... Um, do you remember that uh, you, you may, if you've heard... Oh, by the way, you might not know what this is. This is a podcast. It's called Serious Disney. Go and look <laughs> at it. it go, well, go and listen to it more, more than that, yeah. really. We do have a couple of videos now, but mostly it's for listening to. It's called Serious Disney, and sometimes we have this little feature where... Um, uh, it's called Serious Missed This, where a young person watches the films that we take for granted that everyone's seen, but actually it turns a out not everyone has. A different young person than us young strapping individuals. And, yeah. um, but it's the same young person each time, we should yes. say. Um, and uh, the last one was supposed to be 10 minutes. We ended up talking for like an hour and a half, so I'm having to do some oh, really? extreme editing on that one. Yeah, because we just ended up having a conversation the way we do. Uh, so yeah, it's okay. still only going to be a very short bit of the episode, but it's taking a lot of cutting down. Anyway, there, that's the end. I've got to go now. So, hooray! Serious <laughs> Disney. Go and find it on iTunes and that. <laughs> or, or 
uh, Serious Disness, which is D-I-S-N-E-S-S, dot wigglehee.com, and you will yes. find our archive there as well. You can follow us on Twitter, and we also have a, we have a Patreon. We do. That doesn't have any rewards nope. yet, but as with the Sonic, as with Dave's uh, Sonic sibling the podcast, podcast uh, that's something that we can, we're hoping to build up to over time. Yes. So, and we're hoping to come up with any ideas for as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have ideas. We have ideas. Oh, good. I'm glad you do, and you can tell me about them another time. Uh, <laughs> cool. Right. Bye then, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Bye, everyone.